to the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. I am Ernesto Sanchez. I'm here with Marty Griffin and John Downing. Also today, special guest Liam Barnett. And we're here to give you a recap of sports in 2018. Gentlemen, Happy New Year's. Happy hey, New Year. Happy New Year to you guys. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks a lot, uh, Liam, for joining us again. Um, guys, it's... We're into the new year, man. Uh, we, I'm excited to see what we do uh, with this podcast and, and what sports bring to us uh, for the upcoming year. Uh, Marty, how was your uh, New Year's celebration? Uh, it's very low-key. It's a long work week, so uh, I had no energy left by the time the new year came around. So nice quiet dinner at home with the lady friend and uh, was in bed by... 30 minutes after midnight, so oh, yeah. uh, uh, very opposite from what I heard from what Liam did. So. <laughs> yeah, um, I hope nobody hears much about what I did last night, <laughs> to be truthful. Uh, we also uh, tucked it in pretty early last night. Lindsay was asleep by uh, 8.30, and I was shortly behind her at 9.30, probably Man. the most productive New Year's Eve I've ever had. You so. animals, you. Wow, thrilling sports entertainment radio show. <laughs> Shall we move it along? <laughs> Johnny, how are you feeling this New Year's? I'm good. I'm excited. Great. Yeah, so I'm excited. I can't wait for the football playoffs to get started. Oh, yeah. Yep, Saturday at 4.30. Can't get here soon enough. Fair we're, enough. We're amongst two champions today, too. Liam won the football league, the fantasy league, and Johnny won our pick'em league. By, like, a, a mile and Landslide. a half. Landslide. Yeah, so congrats to you guys on a good year. Thank you. Excellent. All right, guys, let's get right into it. This is episode number 10, so we'll we'll go with our number 10s. John, you want to start us off? Sure, I'll start with a sour note and go with number 10 for the Patriots this year, which Josh Gordon gave us a lot of promise and hope and left us holding the bag and leaves us with nothing going forward. And unfortunately... Nothing. That's strong. What? He left us with a hole, man. It was worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is you relied on him. You ended up relying on this guy, and now he leaves you. Worst case scenario. I would rather he didn't work out a month a month ago, two months ago, rather than two weeks before the playoffs. All of a sudden, boom, you can't pass a, pass a test, and now you leave us kind of scrambling. Thankfully, the Patriots and they're figuring it out, but the opponent was the Jets and the Bills before that. So, thankfully, they have another two weeks before they have to play so they can figure something out. It did look like they were getting Hogan and Dorsett back involved, which was nice, along with the running backs. But maybe it's a good thing. Maybe I just, I'm just I'm I'm not, not saying it's it. positive. I'm not. I'm not saying him leaving the team was a positive thing. I'm saying to say it left us with nothing is a little bit strong. Well, they relied on him. Hogan has already proven that he can put up better production than Gordon was putting up in that. Well, Gordon was putting up Brandon Cooks numbers. Yeah, but relying on Gordon does that. Relying on Gordon was like putting all your betting chips in a wet paper bag. I mean, you really think that was going to hold all season long? I just did. I, I it just had, came in my worst case scenario. Yeah. yeah, usually Belichick's reclamation projects uh, have a little bit of a higher yield, or at least you make it through the season. Well, he had over 700 yards, so 
I think he I think he was due to swing and miss on somebody. Like he's not just magic. Sooner or later he's going to try and pick somebody up off the garbage heap and they're going to re- remain garbage. We'll see what happens going forward, but they kind of them and their their assessment of the receiver position in general trading away Cooks for the first round pick, which again, I don't regret them doing, but then bringing in guys like Jordan Matthews, Kenny Britt, Eric Decker, all these guys that did not work out led to them needing to spend a fifth-round pick on a guy like George, Josh Gordon. And, you know, that's where you, when you have to go get a Josh Gordon, this is what can happen. And, unfortunately, his drug test, his failed drug test kind of leaves, leaves them high and dry at a rough time. I wish it had happened earlier in the season because, you know. Agreed. But it is what it is. My number 10 is uh, the disappointing Josh <laughs> Gordon again. Trash uh, Gordon. <laughs> Trash Gordon. <laughs> Liam, nice. you want to give us your number 10? Um, I actually had my number 10 uh, changed in my mind for me just this morning reading one stat. I was uh, I had a couple kind of deeper cut uh, people that I was going to throw up. Uh, you know, Tito Francona. War number 10 for the Cincinnati Reds in 1987. Oh, interesting. I don't think he raked that year or anything, but he's just got a special place in my heart, so I wanted to give him some love. It seemed a little unfair, because he only wore it for one year. Um, and then I thought maybe I was going to talk about Yohan Moncada and how exciting it was to see flashes of him like possibly being the franchise player that the White Sox need moving forward as they grow into this young talent that they have. Uh, and then this morning I saw one statistic about a number 10 that just completely changed my mind. DeAndre Hopkins has made 115 receptions this year and has recorded zero dropped passes. That is insanity. It's the definition of do your job. Like, it, you can, uh, there are contextual arguments around it. It's never been easier to get open in the NFL and all the receivers are in bubble wrap. Fine. But not having one pass bounce off your hands all year long, especially when you're that athletic guy that puts yourself in those super high degree of difficulty catch situations. Like when when you when you have that kind of athleticism to go for those super difficult catches, you think that sooner or later it would translate to Sometimes you just don't make them. But despite the fact that he even gets his hands on more balls than almost anybody in the NFL would, yeah, he pulls all of them <laughs> in too. Just blown away by, by that kind of consistency for a whole football season. So I'm going DeAndre Hopkins all the way. Awesome. Great, Great pick. pick. Great pick. Uh, <clears throat> predictably, uh, I went with Santonio Holmes, first-round draft pick by the Steelers in 2006. Everybody, of course, remembers him. I certainly remember him best for uh, his 2009 Super Bowl MVP performance, uh, getting those toes in in the corner of the end zone against uh, Arizona. Man, electric. Uh, He played nine seasons in the league, uh, only four with the Steelers, 389 receptions, 6,000 yards, 36 touchdowns. Uh, Santonio Holmes is my number 10. Marty? Never refused not to practice before big games either. Yeah, yeah. no fucking kidding. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I'm already moving into basketball mode, seeing how the Cowboys are going to lose next week. So I went with... <laughs> 
the classic Knicks point guard, Walt Frazier, back in those days, ABA, ABA playing time. So I would, you know, talking about two-time NBA champion, seven-time NBA All-Star, uh, four-time NBA first team. Uh, he played most of his career with the Knicks, the New York Knicks, and ended uh, in 1980 with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm rolling with today. All right. So uh, I guess we'll get into the last, or <clears throat> before we get into the last two weeks in football, say a couple words about uh, the Bridgestone Winter Classic. Uh, Liam, you ever heard of that? Uh, yeah, it's a tire company, right? Yep, exactly. So um, the outdoor outdoor classic game, um, I think they got it rest uh, the best the first time they tried it. Um, what was it like eleven years ago? It was. Uh, the the Buffalo Sabers uh, versus the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it was snowing. It was magical. Nobody had ever seen it before. It went to a shootout. Sidney Crosby got the game winning goal. It was just magic. You're never gonna bottle that again. Even even Pierre on the broadcast today uh, said, um, you know, they were hoping for snow, hoping to get a little lake effect snow. But all in all, it was, uh, it was great. Anytime you can play hockey in front of you know. Uh, 60,000 people that's that's going to be a good time uh, Bruins pulled it out 4-2 to two against the Blackhawks who seem to be in every winter classic there is um, the jerseys on both sides looked awesome uh, John I don't know if you saw the Bruins yeah, um, the old style Big B oh man I loved it and also just, just the sweater itself kind of reminded me a lot of the Steelers Bumblebee uh, third jersey, which I, I was very fond of as well. Uh, any, any yeah, you can even find a way to work the Steelers into the hockey segment, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> any 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 thoughts on the gear or the or the game? I thought Rask was okay. Yeah, you, you looked, know, he I, pretty I, this sure. was a game, so I heard Cam Neely's talk prior to the game on one of the local stations, and he was saying basically they wanted to give Tuca this game because it's a big game. You know, it's a big spotlight game, almost as a confidence booster type game, even mm -hmm. though he hadn't really earned this game. Halak had definitely more so earned this game year to date. But they wanted to, he wanted to show the team, they wanted to show their support behind Rask and that, you know, they still believe in him and he's still their guy. So they decided to, you know, let Rask start the Winter Classic. And, you know, he came up, he played, he played well. Yeah, you he, know, the he, first goal definitely... Was a tough one to stop, I think. Um, Even the second goal was off was off a off a redirection, right. you know, and it just kind of snuck snuck in five hole over the top of the pads. I mean, you you can't. Um, that's not something you can play to to, to protect, you know. Right. So. Uh, so this is the time of the year that Tuca usually goes on his nice run. So hopefully he can parlay this into a nice stretch, that you know something he's he's been doing over the years and. Hopefully he can continue it into the playoffs. You know, one last thing about this game. Um, Bergeron, every time I see him, um, every time I watch a full Bruins game, you really get a sense of just how good he is and how much he does on the ice. I mean, a perfect, perfect example of what he brings um, to the table is the Bruins' second goal, uh, where it's a, it's a Jonathan Taves breakaway, and... Um, Bergeron comes all the way back from his from the offensive end to lift the stick of Taves, break up the breakaway. They 
turn the puck over, put it back down the ice, and he ultimately is the one who scores. So, um, you know, just to make a big defensive play at one end of the end of the ice and then to make a huge offensive play at the other end of the ice in the same shift, um, you know, you, you got to be really happy to have that guy on your team. So They say that in practice, Bergeron is pretty unbelievable to watch. That You know, if he really wanted to be a top scorer in the NHL, he could. But, you know, he chooses to do everything else on the ice, and that's why he wins a lot of Selkie awards. But it's interesting to note. They say if you want to see just how impressive Bergeron is as an offensive player, you should go check him out for free at the uh, Warrior Ice Arena in Boston sometime. Speaking of winter classics and what screams hockey in winter, uh, they just announced that the next year is going to be in Dallas. That just blows my mind a little bit. Is that possible? I say Cotton Bowl, yeah. I say I say they double down. De- well, it, it's thirty in Dallas today. They always do it on New Year's Day. So I mean, it yeah. is it is possible. They did one in L.A. in Dodger Stadium, um, but uh, I I say you double down on having it in the South and you have Nashville in that one. Um, I think it would be great. You know, you get a lot of country music personalities out to that one. Uh, you know, just really. Because with these Winter Classics, what they usually do is they'll have at least an original six team or a, a Northeast uh, team in it basically every every year. That's why the Blackhawks have been in, I think, five of the last 11, and the, um, the Bruins have been in four. John? Sounds right. Yeah. Sounds about right. So... Um, I think it'd be awesome to to get and get some new markets involved, and again, you could really double down on the hey, we're doing this winter sport in the South thing uh, by getting the Nashville Predators in there. So that's enough time uh, on hockey. We got a lot of football to cover. Um, we're going to do a year in review of 2018 to finish us up today. So, John, you want to start us off uh, with week 15? Week 15, 16. Fifteen. <clears throat> We've been on break the last two weeks, gentlemen. Yeah. All right. All right. Week sixteen. So we saw on, on the <laughs> wait. It's week sixteen. Week fifteen. Week fifteen. We've been off for two weeks. Yeah, I know. But then there was week sixteen and seventeen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh. <laughs> I remember, like, but John, about the there show. are sixteen games. Then I see them. Fuck. Why are you talking like that? I get it. I get it. No, I get it. (laughs) All right, that's my one dumb thing I fucking say today. I'm glad I got it out of the way. All right, so I think the most impressive thing, at least in my opinion, that we saw in week 16 was the Ravens go into the Chargers stadium, which isn't really a home field advantage, but we saw the Ravens go in there and pretty much handle the Chargers by a final score of 22 to 10. I don't know if that final score is reflective because the Chargers were driving at the end. Antonio Gates fumbles the ball. Ravens pick it up and end up scoring. Uh, so the final score is 22 to 10, even though it may have seemed closer than that. And turns out that game is now a rematch. Wildcard weekend. We're going to have the Chargers go to Baltimore. Do you guys have any thoughts on this game? Did you watch it? Did you see I, it? You I impressed? watched it. It, it. it started my nightmare of a weekend. Um, I was really... Counting on the Chargers handling the Ravens because I didn't want um, being at uh, New Orleans to be a must-win game. Um, 
we saw how that wound up. Right, so this out. started your domino effect of bad things for the Steelers because the week before they had taken down the Patriots, so you were feeling good. Then Saturday good. comes, and you, the Chargers are expected to beat the Ravens, right. you know, Lamar Jackson, and this was the beginning of the dominoes falling apart for the Steelers. I mean, Lamar Jackson, really for me, kind of, this is when I started to pay attention to him. He had 13 runs, uh, one of them for 27 yards. Uh, he had 204 yards through the air with one touchdown. Um you know, that's, it's not a, pow, a powder puff defense that they're playing either. Um, and the Ravens defense continued to come up big in this game. Two interceptions, uh, two fumbles. One of them recovered for, for the touchdown. Um, I was at the bar just in mortal agony watching this thing unfold. Because you knew that it meant you really needed to beat the Saints the next day. Mm. All right. And then so the other games that we had, uh, Marty was a little nervous that Dallas was going to do a do a Dallas Cowboy thing and choke at home against Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. They ended up holding on for the victory, 27-20. to 20. Still nothing to celebrate, though. We're talking about 232 net yards in that game for Dallas. They were, you know, they were looking rough and give up 3-3-93, which is easy to do with the Buccaneers. They like to let it fly. Um, you get that Fitz magic and Winston effect going whenever they get on a roll. But uh, that still left me at the end of the game, even though we won, really, really concerned uh, about, you know, heading into this playoff season. I expected Zeke and Cooper to do more in that game yeah. because the Tampa Bay defense has been really bad all season long. So you, I expected that game to be a little more yeah. of an offensive explosion for Dallas than it turned out to be. And another fear that grew that week, and I'll, I'll go ahead and bring up this game, is was Eagles uh, beating the Texans and putting their place into being contention to make the playoffs, which they I have. I can shake my ass a little on that one, right? No, man. Why? I told you Philly was going to win, Foles, and they did. Yeah, 471 yards, four TDs. The kid just like went off again. Uh, he just comes in at the right times and shines. But yeah, I still believe Texans are going to. I started jinxing myself in that game, though, didn't I? <laughs> you did. You're you're on a I was shaking my ass roller coaster. when it was uh, when they were up by two touchdowns with five minutes to go in the third quarter, and the Eagles had the ball with five minutes to go, and Josh Adams then fumbles. I start texting them and like I told you guys, the Texans were fucking frauds. They weren't going into Philly and winning. And Adams fumbles, Houston goes down, scores. Houston gets the ball back immediately after that, goes down, scores. They tie the game up. And it was just like, this was a freaking night. Oh, no, they didn't tie it up. They took the lead, 30-29, to with two minutes to go. And then I couldn't see what was happening because I was traveling. It was (laughs) Christmas Eve. And so I couldn't see what was happening. I was was in no service (laughs) zone. And it was 30-29, to Houston. And I knew the Patriots needed this game to get the bye. Because Houston had them by one game. So the Patriots really needed this game. And I was freaking out for 45 minutes. No service. Seeing Houston ahead 30-29. to Thinking the Eagles yeah, were choking this game away. And how could I be so dumb to shake my ass when it wasn't over yet? I know better than that. And oh, sure enough, when I get to my dad's house, you know, I start seeing the text from you guys. And I let out a big scream because I was happy. <laughs> it saved the Patriots season. That's how big this game was. It was so big. I don't want to get way into this tangent because we got a lot of other things to cover. I don't want to actually discuss this topic, but I just would love to know, yes or no, down the line, are we finally at the point where the, are the Philadelphia Eagles better with Carson Wentz or better with Nick Foles is a real conversation? It is, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a real conversation, real. absolutely. I mean, 10 out of 10 times, if you line them up next to each other, Foles and Carson Wentz, 10 out of 10 times, you're going to say, I take Carson Wentz. He's bigger. He has a stronger arm. He's more athletic. You're going to take him. But for some reason or another, 
The Foles and the Eagles works better. Just they're nine and two yeah. over the last two years with Nick Foles at quarterback. Four and one this year, and they're not even yeah. They're John, comparable. John, you can't also you, you also can't forget that the that the best ability is availability. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely, but so good job, Mister. What would it take? So then, then I guess the next follow up question to be to that, if you're saying that the Eagles are better with Foles, and say the Eagles get to the Super Bowl, say they win the Super Bowl again this year with Nick Foles, then do they have to trade Carson Wentz? Uh, it it sucks trading damaged goods when you know the last thing you saw him do was go out for a season with an injury. You're going to get much less than he's worth, but still a lot of then value what on if that you, guy though. The, yes, some. There's a lot of dumb franchises that yeah, invest in damaged goods, too. Yeah, Gruden, <laughs> Gruden might be interested. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Arizona. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, it there's a lot the of teams. thinking league. You're not wrong. Yeah. Whereas whereas baseball is maybe more, Wentz is attractive. more pessimistic and, 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 and what have you wants done to focus on depressing your value. Football's, but they've already got a statue of Someone in football is always ready to pay you what you might be worth. Right. I tell you what, Chicago better get their shit together not to get ahead in this, but you know, Philly looks scary. They look really good. Don't you worry. Chicago will be fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep it rolling. All right, so back on to Week 16's games. So that was the most important game to me as a Patriots fan. Uh, the rest of the games... Uh, oh, Pittsburgh-New Orleans. Do you want to give a quick recap of Pittsburgh-New Orleans? Uh, yeah. New Orleans wins the game 31-28. to I think Pittsburgh gave us... a. I expected them to give to have a, a pretty good game like they did. Um, Nesto, why don't you yeah, no, I that? think they they had they had a great game. Um, we saw a lot of what we saw in uh, the New England game in Week 15, and um, that you know they were they were playing with a lot of confidence. The defense was making critical stops, although you know you can't depress that that defense too much. There's just too much talent there, and, and Breeze is too smart. But they. I think they got a lot of good pressure on him, and and they kept him from making that big play down the field, um, which the Steelers are very susceptible to. Uh, that being said, um, and I don't, you know, I try really hard not to make this argument, but um, God, the officiating was so fucking terrible in this game that that um, you know, in the, at the end of the second second quarter. Uh, Breeze, or no, yeah, was it the first quarter? Second? At, at any rate, in the first half, Breeze throws up uh, on a fourth down conversion uh, attempt, throws into the end zone, and and um, Joe Hayden. On oh, Kamara. Uh, yeah. Right. Joe Hayden doesn't even touch this guy. I mean, he's got he's got like a hand on his back, and then he jumps, but it's he didn't push him. He It is just like... Didn't Someone was making the argument he should have had black gloves on, not white gloves on, because when you have the white gloves on the back of his black jersey, and just that incidental contact is going to be seen, you know, a, a team that thinks through all of these things may have known, hey, the players on defense should be wearing black gloves that, with the that, black jerseys. All right, I, color of the gloves aside. Um, no, I agree. It shouldn't have been called. I agree. It shouldn't have been called. It should but not have been called. Smarter and, teams think about these things. Oh, small man. things, but they do. The ball was grossly overthrown too, yeah. and like there was just no reason. And, and throughout this game, every time there was a good defensive play, and I think this is true for throughout the whole this whole season. Every time that there's a good defensive play on a throw, 
you hold your breath and wait for the flag Agreed. before you before you celebrate right. and and it's just like it is ruining the game in that respect also um, i thought the the at the end of the game you know on that for another fourth down play <clears throat> again on joe hayden he was within 5 yards pulling down michael thomas but they do you have 5 yards to make contact with the receiver that was within 5 yards exactly and it you called. know it's, and it gave new orleans the first down but led to the go ahead score right so there were there were a lot of moments that we had that we didn't capitalize you can't can't blame the refs um uh, St- Stephen Ridley had that huge fumble in the fourth in the fourth quarter, um, and then uh, obviously Juju had the even bigger fumble. Yeah. Um, but but Ben was fantastic in this game. He you know he had three hundred and eighty yards, three touchdowns, so zero zero interceptions. Yeah, Antonio was, was fantastic. Monster. Juju was fantastic up until that point. Um, b- but man, was that was that just heartbreaking t- to watch? You know. It, how many games? I, I believe it's it's five games this year that we've lost in the in the final drive. You know, um, the season has aged you. If <laughs> no kidding, so a little bit. So you, that was, you shouldn't have lost at Denver. You shouldn't have lost at Oakland. No, we so, honestly shouldn't. Shouldn't have tied have, Cleveland. Shouldn't have lost at um, at LA either. Well, at home against Stella. Yeah, the blown double-digit lead at halftime, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. That wasn't home. All right. So one more game of significance from Week 16 was the Sunday night game where we had Seattle Seahawks kind of reestablish their foot, foothold as a team to be reckoned with in the NFL in 2018. They defeated the Kansas City Chiefs 38-31. to Guys, what did you – did you guys watch the game? Yeah. What did you guys take away from this game? They just grind it out. You're talking about a team, time of possession was 35 minutes for them. They just keep the football in their hand. They control They control the game. They control the clock. Uh, it's just that typical Rus- Russell Wilson kind of game plan that, as a Dallas fan, seeing them next week scares the holy shit out of me for sure. You got Carson now, his legitimate 1,000-yard rusher, turned out for the season. He's running the ball well, and you got Baldwin and Lockett, who are two-headed monster, who are just really Baldwin. Ball, yeah, just he looks healthy right and fresh now. Yeah, he both, was hurt all season long, and now both he those looks guys are over a hundred yards each that game, and they're they're smiling and, and chat. I mean, they're just as a team, just you know, peaking at the right time. Which you know, I mean, just past Dallas. I think NFC should take notice of this team well, going into the big, playoffs. Big, good, athletic, offensive yeah. line. They have Russell Wilson, who never really, never ever refuses to die. They have a three-headed rushing attack led by Carson. They got right. Baldwin healthy, underrated Tyler Lockett. Uh, they've got a really good defense. Bobby Wagner probably is probably linebacker of the year, if not right. one of the top three or five linebackers in the NFL this year. Um, I think they're really dangerous, but it also kind of shows you how vulnerable the Kansas City Chiefs are, especially on defense. Um, you know, oh, absolutely. I mean, they just. They offer very little resistance. They have not, yeah. They have shown anything, honestly, since the game of the year. Everybody wants to talk about with the Rams, of just putting up, letting them offenses come in and just put up huge numbers on them. Uh, so I mean, Chiefs are now zero and four in their big primetime games. So they lost at New England on a Sunday night. They lost uh, at the Charger or at home against the Chargers on a Thursday night a couple weeks ago. Then they um, lost. That Rams game, that Monday night Rams game, 54-51, and then they just lost this Sunday night um, game at Seattle, 38-31. So I don't know what that says, but I think that's worrisome if you're a Chiefs fan and the playoffs are coming. And you've known as an Andy Reid team, 
the Chiefs every year that they've had a bye or had some home field advantage and have looked good going into the playoffs, they've always choked. The, the combination of whatever. And I know it's Mahomes, but still, now you're 0-4 in these primetime games. That's got to say something, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and you look at the third down conversions in the last few games, too. That's is really taking a slide as well in completing those third downs. They put themselves in long third down situations, bad play calls. Even you could see Mahomes uh, towards the end of that game just kind of doing like a, you know, taking one out of the pages of Prescott, Dak, and just holding on to the football and not getting rid of it and just trying to make something happen. He's too cute for me. That's yeah. that's and I it's, and then that's kind of an Aaron Rodgers thing. He's always trying to make the play that that looks good and people go ooh and ah about instead of taking what's given to him. Right. Well, and I, I think, think that's a problem a lot of quarterbacks have in the NFL. So I'm not saying it's you know, only a problem if you don't complete the passes. Yeah. Well, like he, watch watch the on guy play long. the game like. If you some could those, do that, some you of would the do plays it too. That, you, that he is that he has extended the 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 three free rushers that he's gotten away from to get all the way to the. Oh, I don't deny that he makes insane plays. I don't deny that whatsoever. But sometimes, you know, the best play to take is what's given to you. Sure. And I feel like you know, Aaron Rodgers looks great, but you know, there's a reason I mean, that yeah, and you want they've a, underperformed as a team over the years. You want a quarterback that feels like he can extend the play and make something happen, that he has that ability to be that playmaker, but also being a playmaker is not taking huge losses. And and that's my biggest thing with Prescott, which he's gotten better in that five-game winning streak, and he was not taking a lot of sacks. He was not forcing a lot of throws down the middle. No, he, he was just, he was just He's willing to take it. You know, step up in the pocket towards a sack, but not lose an eight-yard sack. You know, right. but just making better decisions. And I think Mahomes is really going to have to figure that out um, because every game from here on out is going to be prime time for him and how he's going to step up in those situations. Okay, so that kind of wraps up uh, recaps week 16. Moving on to week 17, we had some fun action. I definitely was watching those 425 set of games uh, on my two feet for pretty much the duration. I'm not sure about you guys, but they were pretty exciting. The 1 o'clock games left yeah, me, left me wanting more. <laughs> because, <laughs> but you knew it was set up this way. The NFL set it up this way specifically so that none of the 425 ga- games or teams that were playing could know what they, the impact of the other games had on them. They wanted the, all the games happening, happen, happening simultaneously. You know, so the one o'clock games were set up to be kind of boring, and they were. So after kind of a snooze fest in the one o'clock games, four twenty-five kind of got us kicked off. And actually, before we get into that, John, I just want to make one more one more comment um, about uh, week seventeen. Or yeah, we are getting into that. I really needed um, the Titans and the Redskins. Um, I, had, I still had some hope. For my Steelers here, mm-hmm. um, not relying on the Browns, I really didn't want that to be the situation. Right. So, um, it, watching the Titans uh, beat the Redskins, kind of figured that was going to happen, twenty-five to sixteen, and then you watched that game. I was watching the line, you Sorry. know, watching, watching <laughs> the, uh, I was watching the scores on my phone. We deserved better from that game. It was kind of boring. Yeah, that's. And then, uh, and then the Giants, the Giants, the Giants were winning seventeen to seven at the half against the Colts. Uh, and then, you know, uh, okay, yeah, you know, just another another dagger, man. The Colts came back at the end. That game, they had the lead until under two minutes to go, and Andrew, Andrew Luck let them back. And yeah, the Giants left the door open. Twenty-seven and, to twenty-eight, and just 
decimating all hopes. Okay, so let's get into the um, the good action from Week 17. Dallas kind of a uh, was a meaningless game for them because you know that they were already locked into the number four seed in the playoffs, so they had to play at the Giants. They were um, a little more than a touchdown underdog, but they ended up winning 36 to 35. Marty, did you have any big takeaways from that game? Uh, well, obviously the the, the one thing that's going to stand out is the overturn and the, and the reception for Beasley for the touchdown. The very get what a hell of a catch and, a, and an avoidance mm-hmm. of a sack for mm-hmm. Dak to throw on the run and and connect that. So, you know, taking away from that game, knowing they were sitting some players, Martin was out, Smith was out. They're resting those guys, and they are going to come into this week healthy. Um, but I, I still like seeing that competitive fire towards the end of the game. That was something they could have just laid down on and just taken. For sure. But they didn't want to lose to the Giants. That's a big NFC rival. Um, and I like that they had that fight in them. So to win that game and seeing how the players were celebrating afterwards of that victory that really didn't mean anything kind of has me feeling they're kind of cued in. And, and they're playing as a team. Does Dak make you feel better about Dak? Well, his performance in the game throwing in for that, yeah. three to I mean, seven, four touchdowns. I was biting. I was down to the cuticles. My my fingernails, just hoping he wasn't going to get hurt or do something right. stupid in that game. You know, it's always a thing. Do you sit a player? Do you let him play? Do you want him to kind of get his rhythm back and connect with some of these other receivers? You know, uh, but I, 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 you know, it made me absolutely a ball of anxiety throughout that game. Uh, but you know. I, th- I think it was good to leave him in. I think it was good to play play him. Um, but yeah, we got a lot of prepping to do for Saturday because we're, we're facing a monster in our sights that are going to be coming into our stadium and who love to play in our stadium as well. You already lost twenty four to thirteen at Seattle week three this year. Yeah. But as you you know, Dallas was markedly a, a different team at that point. Oh yeah. Uh, but so was Seattle. So but we'll get it. We'll and get one other takeaway from that game too, and it is that subtle thing on that play call where Hearns was coming in the middle and you could see that Dak was staring him right down and he pointed to the outside receiver for him to redirect that pass, which he connected uh I can't remember God, I can't remember the name escapes me. There's a receiver, uh, uh second year receiver. Uh, but ended up getting it down to like the four yard line right there. But big big hat off. I, I shit on this guy all year long, Hearns, but he, uh, they talked about him in the locker room, how he's just a player's player. He's willing to do all the little things, step up, be a guidance to the younger players. Just willing. He's played all – he's played both tight end, blocking tight end, uh, outside, inside. Alan Hearns? Yeah. He's played all those positions this year for the team. He's just kind of been that guy. He's been there and, and willing to take a back seat when Cooper came in and not make a big deal at it whatsoever. So my hat's off to him for being that – ultimate player for the team as well. Got to have those team guys. All right. Um, so, moving past those 1 o'clock games, uh, what else do we have here? We had So, we had the Chicago Bears playing at Minnesota. Minnesota was a 5.5-point favorite. They needed to win this game, and they would be into the playoffs as the number 6 seed. Chicago didn't have much to play for. Um, well, I, I don't really mean to say that because if the Rams lost to the 49ers at home, which was doubtful to happen, and the Bears beat the Vikings, then the Bears would have been the two seed and received the bye. Mm-hmm. And that, that's big for a team, especially a, you know an athletic, physical team like the Bears. Um, so they definitely wanted to get the bye, but they, like Coach Nagy said, they were watching the Rams score, and they were saying if the Rams were up big at halftime, then they would pull their starters at the Bears will pull their starters at halftime, but I think the Bears got in front of Minnesota and were feeling good about themselves, and even though the Rams were up huge at halftime, the Bears said, let's just go for the kill shot and let's just finish finish them off, and, and they did, and I thought Trubisky looked good. The defense looked tremendous. 
Uh, Cousins, once again, coming up small in a big game. Uh, you guys have any thoughts from this game? Did you see it? Uh, just just the season-long, just ashy taste that I've gotten from watching the Vikings. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm going to roll back around to them later as part of my What I Was Wrong About This Year segment. Was, okay. God damn it, they looked good on paper. Yeah. I was never, I was never like a, a cousin's truther. Like I, I, I wasn't sold on him. I didn't think the co- the the contract was um, necessarily a great value for the team. But he was at least gonna be like the best version of Blake Bortles, <laughs> right? Who was gonna do? What is that good? <laughs> he, was, he was gonna do an. Oh come on! The, I, the Blake Bortles' best self is a good quarterback. He just doesn't bring it every day, right? Yeah. He's not a great quarterback. Wouldn't pay him like Very a franchise quarterback. Yeah. But if you get that many weapons around somebody who's can capably distribute the ball, and you put that many talented people on defense, it should be enough to win your division at least. Christ, guys. So we can at least get into that discussion later, I think. But I think there's a good argument to be made whether they should have held on to a guy like Case Keenum, who seemed to be a nice, good fit and a magical fit for the Vikings last year, and they move on to him to move to get to give 84 million to a guy like Kirk Cousins, who hasn't been a big time quarterback in the past. Um, but we can get into that later when we, you mentioned that the Vikings will be your uh, disappointing team. Um, <laughs> then we. So that, so that being the case, so the, the Bears end up winning 24-10. The Bears locked into the number three seed. The Rams beat the 49ers 48-32. Uh, Gurley gets the rest again. The Rams get the bye, so Gurley will have a full month off before. Because he looked terrible a couple weeks ago, so he really needed to t- this time off to get his burst back. And the Rams really need that as well to get their play-action offense working because that's really the, the, the fuel that ignites their offense is Gurley being able to be physical, fast, and be a threat as a running back ignites their passing game. Uh, the passing game did look better with, C- with C.J. Anderson this week, um, but again, that was against the 49ers defense, so how much do you take away? I don't really know. Um, we saw Arizona go into Seattle. Arizona always gives Seattle a tough time. Uh, they always cover against Seattle, and Seattle ended up winning at 27-24 to last second with a last-second field goal. Uh, so Seattle's the five seed, going to go into Dallas next week for the playoffs. Uh, the Eagles and Nick Foles look really good going into Washington, shutting them out 24 to nothing. Uh, almost kind of like a home game for the Eagles fans as they took over Washington there. Uh, and then the other big games, sorry Ernesto, we need to talk about it, um, was the Pittsburgh Steelers who needed a win at home against the Cincinnati Bengals in Week 17. And the, uh, they also needed that coupled with a loss by the Baltimore Ravens at home against the Cleveland Browns. So you needed to win, and you needed help from the Cleveland Browns of all teams in order for you to get your play your spot back in the playoffs. Yeah. How did this all play out for you? So I obviously had both of these go- games going on at the same time. I, I pulled out the, the double TV combo, looked up my uh, NFL Reddit stream, and got the Browns game going. <clears throat> um, and... At the half, I was ready to jump out the window. I was, you know, texting you guys that at this point, my my uh, my best bet was to have the uh, was to have the Titans and the Colts tie. Which I didn't even know that was an option. Yeah, yeah. So if they had tied, we would slip into the into the sixth seed that way. And at that point, that seemed like the most 
more likely scenario uh, than either of these teams pulling it out. Um, to talk about the Steelers first, uh, we looked, we just looked flat and defeated. Um, we knew it was going to happen coming into this. Um, you know, we had to win. But they were big favorites or no? So they were like 16, 17-point favorites. Well, now now we're also seeing that there was some major turmoil in the locker room going on as well. Okay. So um, they came out looking flat. They came out with no punch, no pop. Um, I think we got out of this. We got out of the, uh, out of the half losing 10 to 3 uh you know uh, and, and luckily the uh the Bengals neutered offense was unable to score anything more than than a field goal it was actually a, a Ben Roethlisberger pick six that ha- um that the Bengals had scored on um man it was just it was tough it was tough to watch especially cuz cuz we needed the win but I, you know, I think everybody was watching the scoreboard, and maybe that's why the, okay. they came out stronger in the second half as the Browns started coming back and started um, being able to to stop uh, Lamar Jackson. Steeler fans were actually chanting, let's go Browns, in the stadium. It was uh, fun. First time in this, the whole yeah, thing exactly. was a fun experience, I thought. Aside yeah, from uh, I had a ton of fun. The Steelers losing. But it was, <laughs> no, it was fun because the, the Browns actually had a chance, and you knew they did, it was they setting did. it where you could see it develop. They did, yeah, absolutely. So, so Juju got a, a, a redemption touchdown, um, which was, I think was big for him. And we got three field goals from uh, rookie kicker Matt McCrane. Um, it was funny what the announcer said. That, you know, I'm standing next to this kid. He's so small. He looks like the top of a participation trophy. <laughs> like, he's like 165 pounds, 5'9". Unbelievable. Uh, but he went 3-for-3 three three with a long of 47, which <laughs> it, it hit the upright too, man. Like, that, was, like, that was the tricky one. Yeah, I got it. Though. <laughs> Did it uh, kind of feel like watching Angels in the Outfield or one of those like, <laughs> 90s movies where right. the 12-year-old gets to play pro ball? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Rookie of the year. Yeah, exactly. Garden yeah. Holzer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that the ball goes over in slow motion over the upright and then <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So so in the end we pull it out yet another uh game where it comes down to the last drive. They tie it up. We blow the Steelers blow yet another fourth quarter lead. Um they got to make some some changes in the defense. I I would really like to see our defensive coordinator fired. Um, watch out for Tyler Eifert. Yeah, watch what out. What was that all about? Oh How do you not God. know that Eifert's been out? For not just the whole season. year this year. You missed all of, almost all of last year, too. You guys have been forever. We, we already played them earlier this year. He should have known. He wasn't available then. Like, he hasn't been available Stephen since Stephen A. Smith, though his whole bungle with the, um, with the Chargers Henry. and the yeah. Chiefs talking about oh, Derek yeah. Johnson and Hunter Henry. Like, at least... He's just a TV guy, TV personality. You can give him him a pass because he's a TV guy, you know, and he's doing all the sports and, you know, it's the holiday season. I get it. You can give him a pass, even though it was funny. But if they're a defensive coordinator, Tyler Eifert hasn't played in how long? Yeah, it's, it was a bad look. But you get paid for. So, so we pull it off, uh, game-winning field goal, and then we, we, you know, we get the stop. And then <clears throat> I'm watching watching the Browns, and and they keep they keep stopping Lamar Jackson, and coming down or 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 holding them to a field goal, and then coming down and scoring a touchdown. And Baker Mayfield looked awesome in this game. Um, that I don't know if you saw. 
that last drive, it seemed like every catch oh, was course. was going to review. Yeah, and I that was Jarvis Landry catch where Jar- he rolled it, curls his hand underneath. That it was incomplete on the field, and then they overturned it. Bless him. Bless him. Bless him. Oh, goodness. And I, at that point, I was sure. I'm like, oh, Cleveland's doing this. They're doing this. And <clears throat> he and had... the spot on the ball was not good, too, because they spotted it at 39. He should have been at the 37, I think. And then Baker Baker has him on that on that, uh, on that that second down pass. He right, has him to, wide, to the the, left side line. wide the fuck open, yep. and he just... He just missed him. Yeah, he had Jimmy Smith beat over there. Oh, my God. That would have been it. That would have been the game. Right, because it would have been in secure field goal range. Now, I'm sorry. I don't know who the Browns kicker is. Neither but do I. But can he kick a 55, 56 I don't think so. He'd already missed a 46 earlier in the game. Okay. Um, so Because in my opinion, instead of going fourth and 10 against the number one defense like that, I just felt like, let's just put it in the hands of the kicker. Why not? You know, let's just. Yeah, hey, it's a 56-yard kick. But the kicks like that happen all the time in the, in the NFL now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I what, guess what, what I guess think? they felt... His longest was 51 on the year. 51? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's hard to tell. I didn't get to see that game, so I don't know what the momentum felt like at the time. If they really had... Like, I mean, I guess if they were at 4th and 10, then it probably wasn't feeling great. Yeah. Christina uh, said she knew that. She's like, I knew that, that they weren't going to convert 4th and 10, and so... 56 is uh, 56 yeah. is is long, but just about any kicker who can secure a starting job in the NFL can at least hit that Good in practice. Point. But he had Good a great point. year. I mean, he was four for four between uh, at 29 yards, seven for seven up to 39 yards, five for seven up to 49. They only kicked two 50 yarders all season long. So it would have been a stretch, yeah. but I don't know. It just it did feel like the Browns were going to pull through in a miracle, and uh, that would have been awesome. The Ravens end up pulling it out, and I don't know if you guys know this, but um, but the Ravens making the playoffs this year. Well, first of all, I don't know if you know this, but the Ravens lost on a last-second play last season. Tyler Boyd had like a it's long 70-yard touchdown um, in overtime that knocked the Ravens out of the playoffs. And this year, Eric Weddle, number 32, the safety for the Ravens, has a one $1 million bonus incentive in his contract if the Ravens make the playoffs. So that... Ravens win literally was a million dollar victory for Eric Weddle. And he's not a guy who's paid like a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's a long time safety. So that meant a lot to him. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, anything else on. Okay, so, but then. Sunday games? Yeah, that was the 425 set, and that was the most exciting part from the 425 games. The 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock set was the Indianapolis at Tennessee. That was kind of the beginning of the playoffs. Because the winner of this game goes in as the number six seed into the AFC playoffs, and the loser is eliminated. Um, Indy went into this game as a five and a half point favorite, mostly because Mary, Marcus Mariota was out of this game with a stinger injury to his shoulder. So Blaine Gabbert got the start, and um, ugly start for him. Andrew Luck was ten and zero against the Titans in his career going into this game. Any thoughts, guys, on this game? Did you watch it? Did you? No, I watched a little I'm, bit of it. I mean, I it just got off to a bad start for me. Um, you know, for the Titans just to lay an egg in the first quarter, not seem competitive, the yeah. interception come out for Gabbert. There was just no flow to that offense. Just seemed like it was over with by the time it started. But then in the second quarter, Luck makes that bad throw. Yeah, and he on his own like fifteen yard line, and the Titans inter- intercept it and run it back for a touchdown. And yep. it's like, all right, maybe they can there hang in this again. game. And they held a little bit, but just offensively, they they couldn't get anything going, which is 
you know, classic Blaine, Blaine Gabbard for right. you. So, uh, just a little disappointing. I thought I was hoping for a better game. Um, I do think that that we are going to get better games this weekend in the NFL playoffs. So I'm excited for that. Week 17 is concluded. That's a wrap. The season is over. Yeah, Moving football. Football is season. football is dead to me at that point. <laughs> so if, while we're wrapping up the season, I guess maybe we should give you your time to. Wrap up the Pittsburgh Steelers. A lot of rumors, a lot of uh, so, suspensions, and just a lot of stuff. I don't think the Pittsburgh Steelers can wrap up the Pittsburgh Steelers I know, right now. I know. <laughs> Started with Le'Veon Bell. I don't think there's anybody who knows what the fuck is going on. No, I'm not. I'm I really not didn't want. We've talked so much about the Steelers this year on the show that I'm almost like, can we, that's just not. But I, I guess you, you need to, right? I mean, there's a lot of stars and. Pretty sure Tom is in the backyard right now in the bathrobe, just yelling, "Let's go for two. Let's go for two. He so, stands by the performance. <laughs> so Antonio Brown wasn't available on Sunday. It was initially reported as a knee injury, uh, but then later today, reports have been coming out uh, and saying that he skipped practice all week. Uh, he supposedly had an altercation with Ben on Wednesday uh, where he you know, threw a football at his feet and walked off. Um, ben, on, ben on his... On his um, on his radio show today, uh, denied reports of that, said, you know, that his relationship with AB is fine and, you know, they're still boys and nothing, you know, there's no trouble in paradise there. And, and he's looking forward to seeing him next season and that he, um, and that, you know, he, he may, Antonio makes him better, which, you know, you can't, can't argue that. Uh, but so apparently after skipping an entire week of practice, Antonio showed up on game day expecting to play and uh, was told by Mike Tomlin uh, that he was going to sit and he ended up leaving at halftime. Um, you know, so not a good look. And then reports come out today that Antonio Brown is expecting or is asking for a trade. Now, um, his cap hit next year is going to be, I think, Twenty-one million. It's. I thought it was nineteen. I was so twenty-one million to them, fifteen for another team. <clears throat> so if the Steelers trade him, they're going to get hit with a twenty-one million dollar cap. Like that's like a fifth of what the overall cap is. But the other team that would be acquiring him will get hit with a fifteen million dollar cap. Ooh, Jesus. So he's going to be hard to move. Um, honestly, at this point, after Gatorade bottle gate and fucking. T- you know, Facebook Live Gate and all the bullshit. Um, you know, I'm not sure we need a guy like that in the locker room. I, I want them to fire everybody and and trade everybody away and burn this motherfucker to the ground, keeping Juju, Connor, and TJ Watt, and everybody else can go, um, including including the coaching staff. I think they need to to get back to. Uh, you know what Steelers football culture used to be, where it's all about integrity and business and and uh, playing good defensive football and and taking care of business uh, and and not necessarily uh, what's been happening lately with uh, you know the toxic twins Antonio and Le'Veon, where it's you know that's the story. The the game isn't the story. That's the story. You see Ryan Clark on TV or TV yeah. the other day. He was saying the the team. Uh, there was a story back from like 2012 when they didn't give Mike Wallace the contract that he wanted, and then they were going to pay Antonio Brown. And he said that this guy shouldn't be paid because you're going to create a monster. 
Yeah, well, turned out to be right. So well, he does produce on the field. <coughs> he, he does six straight seasons over 100, 100 catches. He's gonna go down as one of the best receivers in history. All right, here's just a quick but question. Guys, guys like the guys like that don't win though. Right, right. Ocho so who would you rather have, Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown? Neither. I, I talked to plenty of Giants fans this weekend working up at the mountain who are all like coming out of Connecticut and New York who want him gone. I've talked. I mean, I don't. I mean, they just, Antonio late in the season reminded me almost like Dez was, as well. Dez Bryant. It's like he's got that ability. Know they got that ability, but they handcuff your team yeah. if they don't get what they want, and that's the that's a hard problem. Like, how do you game plan if you know that guy's not happy, or if you go to Juju, you know, three out of the last you know six receiving times on, on the field, he's going to be whining he's just in gonna, the huddle. Just not, he's just going to be whining the huddle, or take two steps off the line and not make a run or a route, which makes it easy for his own defense to read where they're going to go with the ball. Right. You know, it's just too. Predictable when when you got a guy acting and behaving that way in the locker room and on the field. I don't think it's fair to put AB and Beckham in the same. They're they're they're, they're playing the same game, but not in the same league, right? Uh, Odell was expected to hold out throughout training camp. Showed up in good faith. Did the good company man routine for a while and said, "I believe I'll have faith that I'll be." Well, he was coming back from it. an injury too. Sure, and, and and I guarantee a lot of that was his PR guy going, like, you should probably, you know, be seen as a little bit of a softer, you know, more more uh, the sympathetic character right now if you really want to get paid and be, be the star that you can be. Self-serving, probably, but at least he's fucking capable of it. And he showed up to work, he, he, he went through the preseason, and he got rewarded for it, and then... What have been his major offenses? He talked more shit about Eli than he should have. But he wasn't wrong. It was a circus show on the sidelines. He should have kept it. He yeah, should have kept it in the in the locker room. Should have kept it among the team. But he wasn't wrong. That's pretty much all that Odell's done wrong this this just year. Just diva receiver actions. That you know, it's it's just hard to. I think, in my opinion, it's hard to be successful when you have a guy like that on your team. Great players to watch, love to watch them on the field because they're so exciting and they flash all this ability. And in part, it's it's a star-driven league, and this is part of the reason we watch the games as much as we do and we like it as much as we do. But when it comes to actually winning games, they seem to be more of a problem than they're really worth. I think... Look at in the playoffs I, I a couple years a ago though. I, when the when the Giants and Odell Beckham went to the playoffs mm-hmm. and they were at the Packers and the week before they go down to Miami and they're on a freaking boat, you know. And then they this, the game against the Packers, they, he was a complete no show. I can't speak to that one. I don't really remember it. I I trust your word on it though. Uh, I I just feel like there's a difference between being the star of a heavy hitting playoff favorite team and being so toxic in that environment that the team then underperforms. Why can't they be and more then, like your number 10 DeAndre Hopkins? And then that would be lovely, but they can't all be like like D-Hops. But the, di- the difference between being a great player on a great team and being so toxic that you ruin it, I think that is definitely more of a sin than being a great player on a shitty team and being frustrated that you're on a shitty team. Like, 
He should have kept his mouth shut and he shouldn't have dragged his OC or his quarterback through the mud like that in in the media. But he said nothing that was wrong. Oh, it's real. That's all I got. Yep. I can agree to that too. To we don't. A, to we a, don't. We don't know can, what person OBJ would be on a successful, functional team that doesn't have winning fixes. A lot that, that like doesn't have fucking weekend at Bernie's in the pocket every Sunday. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so we are uh, <clears throat> just to just to wrap up the the Steelers drama. Where the hell is John going? I don't know. He He's pissed, fed up with he me. Pissed him off. <laughs> <laughs> he stormed off. Just to Johnny's uh, last show. Just, <laughs> I cannot <laughs> work like this. <laughs> All right. So last thing we're gonna talk about is um, John. You sent me a text today. It was a tweet from Adam Schefter saying that um, the Steelers are looking to get rid of. Uh, Coach Mike Tomlin. So what's up with that? I say it's bullshit, just like the last Adam Schefter thing you'd sent me, uh, that Le'Veon Bell was going to be back in week four. <laughs> so that's... Th- Wait, that-, that wasn't him. That was Jeremy Fowler. Are you sure it wasn't Adam Schefter? Yeah, that was Jeremy Fowler. Remember? And you said Fowler's an idiot. Well, they're both idiots. <laughs> Schefter's not an idiot. He's just dialed in his <laughs> There's no way. There is just absolutely no way... That they're going to get rid of Mike Tomlin. Um, that's not what this team does. We've had three head coaches in the last 40 years. He's granted his teams have have underachieved and have been perceived to underachieve, but hey, it's an understatement. Lose four of the last five games of the season, and just basically exit yourself out of the playoffs on your own volition. That, that's that's a hard pill to swallow for any organization. I I agree, and I would love to see him gone. I just I don't. I won't believe it happens until it happens. I think one of two things either has to happen. If if the Steelers want to succeed with some semblance of the roster that they have right now, then the coaching has to change. Because Tomlin just let this get too far out of hand. And that was, I think, years ago he, he laid the foundation that is, is set now. Where he gave... Too much of a leash to Antonio and to Le'Veon, and he and he he let the team sort of bow to their selfish desires and 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 the needs of their fragile egos. And you can't put that cat back in the back in the bag. If they're going to tear it apart, like you talk about that, one, which they're probably not going to. But let's say we're we're in a world where you say, all right, Juju, TJ, and uh, who else we want to keep? Connor. Keep those three guys, build them around. You can keep keep Tomlin in that situation and give him a chance. I think to not repeat his mistakes, and that could change the locker room culture enough. I think where where Tomlin could be effective. But can can we just give up on the idea that he's ever going to like corral these the, these like runaway horses that he's allowed? To, to, to roll all over him for years like should, good for you you benched AB in the last game even though you were mathematically still possible to get to the playoffs and you tried to make a point but that's way too fucking late man yeah. you're not gonna get it back one thing that I've been thinking about that that does maybe 
make me think that this narrative of getting rid of Tomlin is possible is how many coaching firings we did see today and how uh, much in demand uh, Mike Munchak, the offensive line coach, who has had crazy success with the Steelers' offensive line um, the last few years. Um, and he does have head coaching experience. and he Not good. No, it, it, granted it wasn't good. But um, he is a good coach. I think Ard- he's arguably. a know-your-role guy. I think he's good in his role. Just yeah. like, Belichick lost a lot of games his first two seasons, too. No, I understand that. I just feel like some coaches, like a, look at Wade Phillips, was never good as a head coach, but he's good, at, very good as a defensive coordinator. Josh McDaniels, I feel like, is good as an offensive coordinator, quarterbacks guy, not good as a head coach. North Mike Turner. Munchak, I've, North Turner. There's yeah. a lot, so many examples. We can go on and on about examples of guys that aren't good at the head coaching job but are good at their one job. And I feel like Munchak, because he was a Hall of Fame offensive lineman, I feel like the offensive line is a specialty. I think he should stay offensive line. I think you're overvaluing him as a head coach, potential replacement. I'm personally. not. I'm not saying they should, but I'm. I'm just saying that they do value him as one of the only success stories in the coaching position that they have, and perhaps they're worried about losing him, and thus are thinking about getting rid of Tomlin and promoting him. I'm not saying that I agree that that's that's the route that they should take. But that is the one justification that I could make in my mind why they may fire Tomlin when they haven't fired a coach uh, since before Chuck Noll. You, can take you did lead. mention to McCarthy to me earlier. Do you have interest in him? Um, it, that's it's a name that's out there, you know. Um, and he I did. Think you should focus on trying to. I, not that I want you this to happen at all. I I do not. I do not wish the Steelers success. But I think you should be trying to find. Um, you know, the next Sean McVay type. And, you know, I know that the the Bears offensive coordinator for Nagy is a really good name, hot name out there, and he might be one of those guys that he's being interviewed. I forget his name. Well, this will make for great uh, off-season I, I agree. I so agree. let's get into the wild card weekend. On Saturday we have the early game uh, in the AFC. Uh, we have the six-seed Indy. Going to Houston, uh, and Houston is going to be getting uh, a point and a half on that, John. Uh, what do you think? So all these games, I'm really excited for them because they're all kind of tough to call. Houston opened up as the favorite. <clears throat> we did just see this game four weeks ago. Indianapolis went into Houston and won 24-21. to Houston made a late comeback. But Indianapolis still prevailed earlier in the season, week four. They won the um, overtime game, right? Right. It was well. It was the game where the Colts didn't take the tie that was in front of them, <laughs> and this, that's hence this is the reason that they're playing. Yeah, they could they they would have won the division if they had taken the tie, but instead they so opted it's, to go it's for it's redemption it. week. Houston wins. So anyway, it. they're one and one against each other this year, but the Colts are coming on strong, and I just really see the Colts pulling this game out. I think. That if you can shut down DeAndre Hopkins, the Texans are lacking the weapons offensively to do much. And it's kind of always been that way, except minus the quarterback. They never really had a quarterback either. At least this time they have Deshaun Watson to go with Hopkins, and he can make things happen. He finds a lot of these no-name receivers and you know make stuff happen. But I think a lot of that this year for the Texans was done against subpar competition. And whenever they faced 
anything remotely stiff as a test, they've they've you know underperformed or not performed very well. And they're, I think that the Celtics the, of football, the Colts are a worthy opponent. Their offensive line is dynamite. They they don't allow Andrew Andrew Luck to get sacked. He's barely been sacked at all this year, which was a huge problem in the past for him. He's getting the ball out of his hands very quickly. Mm-hmm. The defense has really come along, which has not been a staple of the Colts teams in the past. Um, so I think the the defense and Darius Leonard, the rookie linebacker, is incredible. And Mac, I Mac, just yeah, Mac is running well for the team. Marlon Mack, the offensive line is is doing really well. T. Y. Hilton is always carved up. The, the, the way you beat the Texans is outside receivers down the field, and Luck can get the ball down there. So as long as Hilton's healthy, which I know he's been a little dinged up, he should have another monster game against this Texans team. He's he's got to be comeback player of the year, Luck, right? And absolutely. So if the Defensive line for the Texans, the J.J. Watts, the the Clownies, if they can't get pressure, which I don't think they will be able to because the Colts' offensive line is so good, Andrew Luck should be able to tear them apart and get the ball out quickly, and I think the Colts take this game. What do you guys think? I think Houston, too, lets the reins off Watson as well and lets him get outside of the pocket and, and play a little bit more uh, now that you're going into the postseason as well. I do agree with you, though, if you can shut down Hopkins, they don't have much of a consistent running game to rely on. Um, and like you said, the weapons aren't really there for them. I still like this team. I think this is one of those games where whoever's at home, I feel like, has a little bit of the edge, though, still. I think if this was an Indy, it'd be a landslide. Indy would take that easily from them. But let's see how much that stadium in, in Houston is rocking for this team. They've been waiting for to to push themselves in the playoffs in the last few years and make a name for themselves. But a lot of the league and a lot of the fans around the league are like you and think they are frauds and that they're not bringing anything to the table. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they step up in this situation. I don't think Houston deserved to be the three seed. I think <clears throat> I value them a little higher than you do, John. I don't think they're complete frauds. I mean, the <clears throat> DeAndre Hopkins stat sort of speaks for itself and his talent. And Deshaun Watson has been um, just amazing for them this year. Uh However, their strength of schedule was so poor that they were able to get into this um, this uh, advantageous situation heading into wild card weekend where they, they do have the home field advantage here. Uh, I think it's a, it's a close game, um, but we've been high on Indy all year as well. Um, so I'm going to have to agree that, that Indy will pull this one out. I want to agree with you so badly I just ah Houston's always one big defensive play away from winning a game and they have so much talent on that side of the ball I I think Andrew Luck is going to beat Deshaun Watson uh, I think T.Y. Hilton probably beats DeAndre Hopkins in this game but man you're going to tell me that you don't believe Watt might go out there and get that strip sack at the right time? I'd say that um, Luck's been sacked six times all year. That's yeah. incredible. I didn't know it was that low. I knew it oh, was that, low. That offensive line for Indy is just ridiculous. Yeah, they, and, they, and, it's and, the best offensive line in the league. And, and the Texans will not get as much pressure as they're accustomed to. Saying they're going to get no pressure, I think, is folly. There is, There are just too many ball hounds on that line and, and in their front seven in general. Quentin Nelson is a rookie. This is his first playoff game, so it's 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 a it's a very tough one to call. I think I think the Colt if if 
All these games are tough. They're all tough. I think they, it, they I think if every touchdown scored is by the two teams' offenses, then the Colts win. I think that uh, I think that like it's really Tennessee. difficult, yeah. really difficult bad throws. to uh, to count out the Texans' defense. They've you know. Well, I just feel like well, I the the show knows my thoughts that they've had a very soft schedule when any stiff competition that they've come across, they've been had and. You know, Indy put up 37 against them in the first game. In the last game, they put up 24. So I think, you know, I, I think we can see 31 points for Indy this game. And I, I don't know. I'd say 31-24, Indy. I'm, I'm going to roll with you guys on the pick. It is the smart pick. Um, I'm going to go very half-heartedly Indy on this one. All right. I'm not going to be surprised at all if this goes the other way. It's only a one and a half point spread. So, so you heard it first here, kids. The Green Mountain Sports Boys are going to put Indy winning and meeting the Chiefs in the divisional round. The late game uh, that night, Saturday night, is going to be the NFC game. Uh, number five, Seattle at number four, Dallas. And Dallas is going to be um, given a point and a half. Marty, you want to? You know your team best. Do you want to talk uh, about your Dallas Cowboys here? Well, like I said earlier, with the with, with some of the key guys, uh, Martin getting rest for his knee, Smith with his neck, uh, Zeke, who's been a little banged up, uh, getting some rest as well is going to be huge for us. Um, seeing Beasley get that catch at the end of the Giants game. Uh, makes me feel good that he's going to be a valued target going into the Seattle game. I really think this is going to be which Seattle does best is clock management that we as the Cowboys have to control the running game, have to control the clock, have to be over 50% efficient on third downs for us to take ourselves to that victory. We cannot make any offensive mistakes by fumbling or making even like one Interception in my mind. I feel like Seattle is just going to jump on any opportunity they are given. Um, with that said, oh god! People in the first people, game people, against people, Seattle at yeah. Seattle, Dak was sacked five times yeah. for 31 yards lost, and he was intercepted twice. Yeah, only threw for 168 yards. Do and you that see was, that a similar pattern? They didn't have Mari Cooper back then, right? And with Cooper now, you know, Beasley, Beasley back in the slot role, and then like I just feel like. He's going to have more options. I think he would try to go through too many progressions early in the season by using, you know, having these guys that he didn't have any, you know, uh, faith in. I wouldn't say faith, but just, you know, just wasn't really clicking because it was early. I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was receiver by committee, so it was just really hard to game plan. And we're talking about a very almost high school-like ran offense in the beginning of the year. Right. So very simplified say- offense. This was one of those games, Marty, where early in the year they didn't give Zeke Elliott the ball enough. He ran 16 times right. for 127 yeah. this yards. This is what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. about and the averaged 7.9 yards a carry, but they again he only carried it 16 times, only caught it three times for 11 yards. Did have eight targets, but still he had a lost fumble. But this was one of those games where Zeke wasn't getting the ball enough. Right. I, I don't know if it's that they're trying to be unexpected. And, and assuming that they're going to load up the box on Zeke in certain games, and, the, and they try to go away from that, and it doesn't work. But, God, just... I've maybe caught three Cowboys games this year, but 
uh, at least two of them, it, it just felt like they forgot that Zeke was in uniform. Right. He's like, the back that wears teams down and is best in the fourth you're quarter. Ta- you're talking about how badly they need running game control against against the Seattle team and, and how badly they need to control the clock. And the, I don't know if there's a better back to do that. On the it, flip it, side in that game, Chris Carson ran the ball 32 times. Yeah. Only 102 yards with a touchdown. But they won 24-13 to 13 running the ball 32 times with their feature right. back. I think it. I think it really just comes down to the Cowboys. Is, very are they going? Are they time. going to use Ezekiel enough? I think can, they, can be the question of the game. And and are they going to notice if they're not if they're not using him enough? They well, better. And that's been been a couple couple games where his second half has been better. nothing, and they and they've let the other team back in the door. And like that's when you lean on that guy. That's right. been my biggest problem with uh, Scott Linehan, offensive coordinator, all year long. I've talked with Johnny multiple times uh, through the show, you know, through text. That just I have really to little to no faith in Linehan and his in his game calling, and his skills in that, and and the fact that Garrett won't take over if he feels like he needs to, mm-hmm. and and just plug Zeke back into that system, you know. So I it's re- I really think you know, and it's one of those things where I feel like it's going to be the coaches that dictate the out. The, Cowboys coaches that dictate the outcome of this game of how they they call the game. Yeah, you know, and maybe it's boring to just hand the ball off to that guy and have him run between I'll the tackles f- twenty five times, but it works. I'll give a f- yeah, stop trying exactly. to be so damn cute. Right? I, sometimes it feels like every coordinator in the NFL is just auditioning for their head coaching job in five years, and they feel like they need to be special or cuter wow. than they have to be with in that, some, every situation. Yeah, with that said, uh, there must be an opening for Pop Warner for Linehan because that's the way he calls his games. Well, <laughs> sure, but I bet you every every coordinator in the NFL would tell you that he deserves to be a head coach. But, you know, with, but with those receivers, and what I want to see even more, too, with Cooper is, is take You know, you're in a third and long situation, and you're on your own 49, it's third down. Take it to the house. Throw a freaking forty-nine yard past the end zone and put the pressure on him. You got to extend those plays with receivers, just like you got to bring the you know the safeties and defensive backs in by running the ball as well. There's just not enough balance when it comes to the play calling for the Cowboys. They just don't play it well. They just seem to either rely on the jump out, either going to throw three straight pra- uh, passes and you scratch your head like where did Zeke go, or they're going to run Zeke three straight times and run him on a third and nine and be like where did the receivers go. It just like doesn't seem that there's any ingenuity in like creating a nice game plan to make be successful when they need to in those right situations. So it's it sounds just very to me frustrating. Like the key to victory for the path to victory for Cowboys in this game is to hopefully get ahead early and just maintain running the ball with Zeke. What happens if they fall behind early? I don't think we win. Because okay. that's one thing that I, I've still seen with Dak even through the five game winning streak. We always had the lead. But when we're in a situation where we have to come back, I, that's where he loves to put himself in a scrambling, like get sacked on a third down, or force a ball, or force a pass, excuse me, uh, for interception. That's just in his M.O. now. I mean, it's not his freshman season anymore. He, we started seeing those signs of him forcing the ball his sophomore year, and we definitely saw it a lot this year. I mean, his interceptions each season has increased tenfold. I think, uh, I, I think these two points are linked. I think part of it is that uh, I guess because conventional wisdom is is so ingrained that if you're behind, you throw. And I think if you got Ezekiel Elliott in the back in the in 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 the backfield, maybe you start throwing if you're 14 behind. 
But you, you don't need to go pass only when yeah. you're one score down when you have that kind of weapon back there. It's curious to see if Seattle's just going to press up on the line and dare them to throw the ball and take Zeke try to take Zeke out of the equation early. But Zeke's so good on screens, though. Yeah, well, I know. That's I mean, in five. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how the play calling on both ends, uh, or for both teams, I should say, goes in this game. But I, I'm saying it right now. I'm taking Seattle in this game. I think I think you just I, I think you nailed the crux of this uh, right in the first thing you were saying a, a time of possession. Yeah, I, I the one I, I feel I would feel secure. The, maybe the only thing I would feel truly secure saying in this game is whoever wins the possession battle wins this game. Both teams are notorious for shortening the game, especially the, the Seattle and Dallas over the years, especially Dallas over the years, but Seattle now this year, they're known for shortening the game by, you know, running the clock. Like, if you look at that, um, the game that they played on Monday night against Minnesota, they went 21-7. to That game was over in a blink of the eye because they just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. The clock tick, tick, ticks, and Dallas is the same thing. Tick, tick, ticks, and before you know it, the game is over. So I think you we will see, uh, I think, this is the, uh, like we said earlier. These games are all very tough to call because you know, that's why the spreads are all so minimal on these games. I see it as a low-scoring game, like under forty-three and a half. I, I I would take the under because even though these teams can score points, both they, with both these teams they sh- they shorten the they length. They don't want to get a scoring contest, right? They don't. Team. They they want to shorten the length of the game. But for me, the X factor it, it comes down to Russell Wilson versus Dak Prescott with the game on the line in the playoffs. Um, I know Seattle is six and zero at home in the playoffs, two and four on the road in the playoffs with the under the Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll era. But I think that, and it, it pains me to say this because I've been big on the Dallas this year, and I thought for sure that whoever the Dallas played in the first round they would take care of, and then they would lose in either the second round or the championship game. But I'm switching. I'm going with Seattle here. Wow. Well, you just didn't, you really didn't get comfortable on that bus, did you? I, I wanted to, too. I really do. <laughs> I but bought you a how, hat. How, I know. How can you? I'll be wearing it. I'll wear it. I promise you. I'll, I'll wear it, and I will root for them. Just I will, but I just I find it hard to go against Russell Wilson no, versus mean, Dak in the fourth quarter of a play NFL playoff game. I've seen it before. We've all seen it. Russell this, Wilson has become one of those refuse to lose type guys. Comes, he's, yeah. he's hard to kill. Yeah, and, and I don't know if the Cowboys have that killer instinct to put him out. I just don't know that. When it comes, the to defense to, is yeah, better though. He's, he's going. He's going now. He's going hard. I just, I just it takes me all the way back to early two thousands when Romo fumble. You know, bobs the the field goal kick and comes up a yard short. You know, with Seattle always coming into the playoff picture when we have to face them, I'm never comfortable. I never will be. It's just um, a shame. Yeah. It's just a shame if Dallas loses again because, you know, a couple years ago when they lose like Green, Green Bay. Bay, Aaron Rodgers at the end of the game with his insane passes, and he pulled out the victory. and The overturned catch for Dallas. At Green Bay. There was at Green Bay a couple years before that with the Des one. And, man, they just find excruciating ways to lose these games in the oh, playoffs. and. It seems like it's setting up to be that way potentially again. So we'll see what happens. I'm feeling pretty high on Seattle's defense uh, in this game. I think Bobby Wagner's going to have a huge game. I think he gets a couple sacks. It's it's the run defense that gets me with them. Against Zeke specifically. So it's a great point you make, Liam, because so two of the last three games those Seattle has lost – at home against the Chargers, 25-17, and against the Rams, 36-31. First, Melvin Gordon, and then Todd Gurley had big days running the ball. So that's a great point that you made. 
And, so, and, I mean, those those are two names that can have a great day running the ball against anybody. But but Seattle has been uh, on the low side of mediocre against the run pretty consistently this year. And and it just, again, goes back to me like, like does, th- does, think, does Zeke get the ball 25 times this game? I if think they're yes, going to fall behind I, I'm still, early. I'm, I, I, I'm I going against gonna... the trend. I'm, I, I want the Cowboys in this one. Okay. Uh you know, you could uh, Russell Wilson. Absolutely, that's 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 the part that makes this like catch in my throat yeah. is that he uh, he makes te- he single handedly makes teams overachieve. Yeah, and so you can you can uh, you can line up all the statistics and say on paper that his squad is not as good, and sometimes he'll just do something uncanny. And, and make them play and look better than they are. Hard to kill. Uh, and, you know, like, for years he's been doing it with his offensive linemen. He's had really soft offensive lines, and, and, and he just refuses to take sacks, so they all end up with great stats at the end of the year. That said, uh, despite the fact that I have, well, like you guys, very little faith that Dak's going to, like, come up golden in this one, you know... Uh, who on the Cowboys does come up in the biggest moments? The entire twelve-man defense. Yeah. What, 12. The, what they did? Who's twelve? Oh, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a secret weapon? <laughs> well, that's their secret. No we that they have twelve men. <laughs> are they going to play Sean Lee with Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderesh? No, get Zeke on the field. I'm telling you, just play. Uh, what they did to New Orleans, though, was yes, eye-opening, I man. I, I could, know. like, if they have that in their back pocket... How many points they hold them to? Ten. Ten. I, I, that, was, that was really big for me it with was, this yeah. team. The, the, you know, the, no, nobody thought they could win that game. And, and uh, that's where they really started to turn their season around. I mean, the defense had been quietly putting in really yeah. good performances for the but previous couple weeks. But that's when they announced that, no, we are... And then, yeah, and then they, and then they put their real. foot on Drew Brees' throat for an hour. And if they're capable of that, I, I have to believe... I, I have to make them my favorite on this one. All right. I like it. I like it, though. That's I mean, these games, are, like we said, these games are all supposed to be very close. And if we all thought one thing, then... That might be kind of boring, so. <laughs> so, the three of us are agreed. William is the dissenting, the dissenting uh, opinion. We can't seed them quite yet because we got to get to the second NFC game. So we'll just um, move along to the second AFC game. Um, the Patriots will be playing either <clears throat> the LA Chargers or uh, the Baltimore Ravens or the Texans. Well. In in our oh I see okay so you because we have Indy winning so we have right. Indy playing at Kansas City the following exactly, week so exactly. we have the Patriots playing the winner of Chargers so at Baltimore gotcha char- Chargers at Baltimore Baltimore uh, is getting two points or is giving up two points excuse me they're minus two in this game I'll tell you as a as a as a Patriots fan I would love to see the Ravens win this game because uh, the Chargers scare the shit out of me really. Not on a not on an every week basis, but in an elimination playoff game. Boo. What about Rivers' five interceptions last two weeks? Not looking good. Fair. Um, I I 
I don't know, man. His body of work is pretty compelling. It is, but in the playoffs, the Chargers have always kind of come up small. Yeah, always laid an egg. And now they have to go the gauntlet of road win, road win, road win, just to get to a Super Bowl. Uh, I I the I hear that argument, but the one that I am more that one that would make me feel more warm and fuzzy as a Patriots fan is what Bill Belichick does against rookie quarterbacks. Specifically. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like the read option, I feel like he'll have some kind of trick up his sleeve to yeah, squash I think, that. I think he would confuse the shit out of LeVar. Do we know uh, that Lamar Jackson hasn't Lamar thrown an interception me. in 128 straight passes? I did not know what that. What is up with that? Uh, I, think, I, think, I think what's up with that is whenever he doesn't have somebody open by a country mile, he, <laughs> he just the runs. Ball and he runs. Valid point, yep. Uh, yep. Which... In the right situations, great. I think he's I think he's too trigger happy on the scramble. I think he's a little bit too in love with his feet. He's quick, and he man. might go the way of RG three because of it. He's gonna get lit up at some point. Yeah. Um I think he needs to his his the the the, the challenge that he has and his coaching staff will have going into next year will be to uh, to get him to fall a little out of love with his feet. Run when it's necessary. Don't run every time you're nervous. It's the NFL. You're going to be nervous a lot. Uh, I mean, he's not going to make it a full season. Yeah, I, I, I do that. not think that... I do not think that Lamar is right now capable of... of, uh, of reading Belichick scheming against him. So I would much rather have the Ra- it would much rather have the Ravens and have a low scoring game. I, don't know. I know they would clamp I'm tough on this. I one. know they would clamp down on our on our uh, on our offense, but I think that uh, Belichick would make Lamar look silly. But anyway, we're not actually there yet. Right. Point. How how do we see this game going? This is this is the toughest of all four games this weekend for me to develop an opinion on, just because we just saw this game a couple weeks ago, week sixteen. In LA, and with you a, know, the Ravens looked really, really good. With no I think Melvin they, Gordon and a and like a limited Kareem. But, but Melvin Gordon got dinged up again by Allen, at the end of the Denver game this past week because they kept him in too long and he got hurt. So yeah, he is supposed to play again. But at what effectiveness against this physical defense that the Ravens have? Yeah. I, th- I I think LA massively underperformed in the last game, and they're going to be. You're gonna you're gonna see a lot of that bounce back effect. They've seen um, one of one of the things that's been difficult about the Ravens in this last stretch of the year is that there's no book on on Lamar. Good point. You know, Very good so point. they have so they have now they have tape on Lamar. And Twice gonna, in three weeks, right? I like that. And they're gonna be able to scheme him a little bit, and they're gonna be able to throw some different things at him. And also, I don't think Philip Rivers is gonna throw one touchdown in the game. And they lost. What was it? Ten to. You don't think he's going to throw only one touchdown? Right. I think he's going to throw. I have a question though. I think he's going to throw more than one. Of course. After the the Ravens won in Week 16, Eric Weddle, longtime Charger, said playing with Philip Rivers for all those years that he did, the eight years that he did play with him, he said he basically knew and was able to help his defense when he was calling the defensive play signals mm-hmm. because he knew how Rivers and the Chargers offense would react in certain situations. And he said that really helped them out defensively, slowing them down. Because the I'm, Chargers were steamrolling as a team. They looked like maybe the best team in the NFL I'm, when the Ravens beat them. That's why nobody thought that was going to happen. And that's why it was such a surprise to see the Ravens go in there and squash them. So is the Weddle effect... Does that it's 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 possible. I think 
I think that was m- much more about them really feeling the loss of Melvin Gordon in that game. Uh, not that not that the Ravens are slouches against the run, and not that I thought Melvin Gordon would have would have taken 180 all-purpose yards in that one. But when you allow a secondary that that is that good to ignore the run, mm-hmm. like it, you know, Ravens were already gonna have a good day because they're a great because they're a great secondary. But when they don't really have to respect the backfield, the they, it was it was you know everybody was plastered on their receivers. Nobody nobody was getting fooled by by play action. They were just draped on those receivers. They knew that Rivers had to throw it. Um, I think uh, Gordon's even even if he's not at hundred percent, the respect that they have to offer him and um, and like I said with Seek, the 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 success that he can have on screen, uh, it it just it forces the defense to take an extra second or second and a half at the beginning of the play and actually respect the whole offense. And it's going to give Rivers a couple more inches of wiggle room to throw some balls that he wasn't able to make completions on last time. I'm also a big believer in, uh, in embarrassment as a motivator. And I think the Chargers are pissed they lost that last game. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I think they're pissed that they're the five seed when they had when they had the second best record in their uh, conference. And if they go out, and I don't. I don't think they're allowing themselves the thought of going out in the first round. They're right. going to come out. You guys sold me. Up. I'm on the Chargers. Let's be go. Cool, I think it's going to be a one score game. I think. No, I, they, I, I think the Ravens. The Ravens D is uh, is is too good to tough let to the team get flattened. With the white stripes playing the whole game, the oh, 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 all game long, it's going to be loud, it's going to be crazy, but you're right, the Ravens are not perfect, they are a flawed team, See, I like Ernesto's point, seeing them for the second time in three weeks is going to help, um, in more ways than one, I feel like if they can run the ball a little bit more, uh, if, Rivers, if Rivers can't to do the Philip Rivers things of, you know, stupid passes, getting intercepted, getting mm-hmm. sacked, fumbles, yeah. which are things that Rivers has been known to do. But I, I uh, think, you, all, you make valid points, and I'm going to go Chargers. I think also there's there's the thing where Rivers knows that this is his year. Like, this is his, this is his chance. Well, they're built for the future. They're built. Yeah, but, but this is really... But he might not be built next year. Exactly. Like he, like doesn't, he doesn't know when his arm is going to go. This guy Ben's, get Ben's off started, he's got nine kids. There's no offseason <laughs> Ben started his decline. So, yeah. Ben started his decline. Eli started his decline, right? Everybody in his draft class yeah. has already is on their way down. And this is the best team that he's had for that I can think of. Quite a long time since the Tomlinson the, era. Exactly. This is the best team that he's had. And this is... You know, if ever there was a team that was built to go on the road for the entire playoffs, it's a team that doesn't have a home stadium. I do remember something they said, the defensive <laughs> guys said at the end of I the like Pittsburgh that. win. They said that Coach Lynn and us, we have something special going on here. And when the team, when players and teams say stuff like that, it kind of resonates with me because... It does seem to mean something, you know, because not all players say, say, say that kind of stuff. And... 
some of the wins are impressive that they have at the at, at Pittsburgh when they were down by double digits at Kansas City when they were down double digits and they went for the two point conversion to win it not the tie you know stuff like that resonates with the team and it, it means something special kind of like the Red Sox had something special going into this year so I think you just have that mentality to the Chargers defensively you, you bend but you don't break their uh, Ravens are poor red zone efficiency like offense because they cannot score in the red zone they have a really hard time with that. And I just think if you just allow yourself to give up some field goals here and there and trust that Rivers is going to take you to the promised land at least three times, 21 points, you're feeling good if you're scoring that many against the Ravens. Like you said, 22-10 game, that was deceiving because that last-minute turnover. What about the Chargers' kicking flaws? Will that uh-huh. come back to bite them? They've been known to have epic kicking flaws. Uh, and that's a huge, have, huge edge for the with, Ravens. With, with the way this year has gone for a yeah. lot of teams, you got to always keep that in mind. Absolutely. All right, I'm still. I'm, I'm going to go with the Chargers. You guys, t- I didn't know who I was going to take going into this, but uh, I'll go with the Chargers. But it's, it's close. I'm in on the Chargers, Marty. Chargers. All right, I take Chargers. Chargers. Okay, so the second are... time in three weeks thing kind of it's it's it, it gets it's, it makes sense to me because you're facing like it's when a college team has to face a Georgia Tech or an Army offense, and you know you're, you're facing the option, you know. Seeing that second two times in three weeks really will help you, you know, whereas opposed to you see it for one time, it's kind of shell shock because it's so much different than anything else you've seen throughout the entire season. So it's tough to prepare for, and when you see it live, game speed, it's tough to react to. I think seeing it the second time will really help them out. Right, and, and again, you see this with all rookie phenoms. The book isn't out on them yet, right. you know, the, so... Now that there's more tape on them, they probably will be able to scheme them a little better. All right, moving into the late game on Sunday we and the NFC, we have the six-seed Philadelphia uh, going to the Windy City uh, to face number three-seed Chicago, uh, who is going to be giving up five and a half points. Both teams rolling in. I think Chicago's four straight wins, Philly's three straight wins. Both these teams beat in the last few weeks the Rams. Uh, they stepped up big in big games. Uh, I, with Foles coming in, it's just a whole game changer. If this was a, a Wentz Philly team limping into Soldier Field, I'd be like Chicago all the way. But with Foles is supposed to play. He was hurt last game, but he's he's supposed to play, right? Like a yeah. solar plexus something. Uh, yeah, sternum. Sternum. Yeah, I don't know. Nate Sudfeld came in through his first touchdown pass in that Washington game in Week 17, but Foles is. That expected to be ready to go. Did you hear how much money he lost on that one drive? Foles? Oh, yeah, because he didn't he reach 33% of the plays. He had a $1 million right. incentive if the team reached the playoffs and yeah. he played a third of their plays, and he ended up yeah. four snaps short of 33% of their offensive plays. Oh. And it was that one injury, that I'd one like, drive. Put me in on defense, coach. Know, right? Like, anything. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a shame. And that would have been, that would have been like... The the that would have just been money well spent on like a just a, <laughs> a, a league wide thing like give Foles a million bucks man he's like got a absolutely outside. like yeah. just like if anybody I mean, deserves it Super Bowl, man. he's Come got on. a statue outside the stadium he's good I mean he's selling books like crazy he's stacking it up he's free agent he'll be good that said the Bears win this game yes they do yeah, the Bears absolutely, absolutely this is the, win this game. This this is is the, the easiest, easiest one to pick. Yeah, this is the easiest one, and I don't. I, the thing that concerns me personally is the lack of weapons that the Bears have offensively. While Trubisky scares me, um, I was about to say, but yeah, he's going to scare you some to some degree. 
he, he scares me a little, but and, and it's also the lack of weapons. Anthony Miller had a serious injury and left uh, the last game against Minnesota. But you know, besides from like producing for the last, he he had his he had a couple games. They spread it out though, yeah, and that's kind of why they they've been spreading it out the entire season, and so that's why you can't worry you too much because that's what they what they do. They don't lean on one guy too much. You know, they use a lot of Tariq Cohen. They've gotten Jordan Howard going a little bit more the last couple weeks, which is nice to see. Um, but you know, guys like Taylor Gabriel have stepped up, and you know, it, yeah, it's it's great to know that you only have to score like. 14 points, and you're probably going to win. Right. Like, right. this this game is all about defense for me. And this, this is a team Soldier that the to two field goals. Like, yeah, exactly. Soldier Field at full volume. Uh, everybody's healthy on... I haven't heard any uh, any Bears injuries on the defense, right? We, their, their, their core is all... Well, playing. I know that they sat out some guys in the last game. Eddie Jackson... But that was for I, I, rest, but, right? Not for right. I think it was just rest and you know making sure some of the guys that are dinged up are going to be good to go. Uh, so I, it, as far as I know, they're they're they can bottle up the Rams for eight points. But yeah, I totally they're, agree here that the Bears the Bears are gonna they could probably win this game twenty one or twenty one nothing twenty one seven maybe twenty eight seven something like that. But I think they cover the spread. And what do you guys think? Anything? Anything different? Uh, I mean, I think I think Chicago is going to be fired up. Um, I mean, I'm trying to look up now. The last time that the uh, the Bears made the uh, the playoffs was in 2006. So 2006, really? Uh, that's no, they just... played against Aaron Rodgers soon more recently than that. Uh, at home, oh, we got it right here. Jay Cutler in the NFC Championship game. 2010. Sorry. Okay. They lost the conference championship. Google's lying to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then they missed the playoffs. The last time they were in was in 2006 before that. So they've made the playoffs once in the last uh, 12 years. And I, I think Chicago's going to be fired up and ready to go. They don't have a lot to uh, to, ch- to cheer about. They have something special going on. Do you remember the one Sunday night game they had at home against the Rams, how crazy the crowd was? This is going to be, uh, I think, similar, and I think Philly... Philly, to me, seems like, you know, they're... I'm not going to say they're happy to be in the playoffs, and now they're going to breathe easy, but I feel like they're happy to be in the playoffs. They're going to breathe easy. They're going to go into Chicago, get smacked in the mouth, and be like, oh, okay. Right. Well, at least you won the Super Bowl last year. I think a lot of just rests on Trubisky's shoulders if he can just manage the game. And, he could and, screw and, it up. And he could screw I it just, up. It's, I think that's where it lies with him. You can't think that you know the Chicago is going to allow the Foles magic to ensue and just they're going to like give up 21 points to a team. I just don't see that happening. But I can definitely see Trubisky having a hard time and they end up winning like 17 to. 7, I mean, has has you know has Foles faced uh, as formidable a defense as the Chicago Bears yet? No, no, no. So I I think they're going to show him something, you know, and and this is what you see. Sometimes with um, with quarterbacks that are in all year, you know, and, and part of the reason why he had so much success at the end of the season last year was just facing the right opponents at the right time, and things just kind of fall together. But uh, I don't think he's he's really been challenged yet. So so we'll see what he's made of, and if that Foles magic does 
does happen, then then you know the Te- narrative changes. But Texas, the you know, it's not a joke, but it's definitely nowhere near. Oh, but what it fits, fits what Foles does perfectly. Because yeah. you can, like I said, you beat Texans on the outside with yeah. the cornerbacks and the safeties, and you can throw the ball downfield. So that's exactly what Foles does: is throw the deep ball down Alshon Jeffrey, and that just that fit him to a T. This defense with the good the good secondary the Bears have, I think he's going to struggle. Um, no good to him. Yeah, he's, he's going to have to focus on the short. Could take him with what's given to him, short to Ertz, um, short to the running backs, and I feel like that's not his specialty. So. Well, I think we're all unanimous that the Chicago is going to take this one with ease. All right, so Chicago wins this one. Then they go to the Rams, and that puts Seattle heading into the Saints and the GMSR playoff bracket here. So our divisional round looks like this. Indianapolis at the Chiefs, Chicago at the Rams, Chargers at the Patriots, and the um, Seahawks at the Saints. I will say, Johnny, by any chance that the Texans make it to the Patriots, I'm laying $100 down on the Texans. Told you I'll take whatever. (laughs) <laughs> Would you give him one and a half on it? One and a half. Yeah, so you'll pay you'll pay one fifty if the. I'll give him the point spread. Okay, all right, I love it. But Bill O'Brien's not coming into Foxborough and beating Bill Belichick. I'm sorry, it's not happening. It's gonna happen. <clears throat> so it's all conjecture. So we don't need to get into it too too heavily. But uh, for the divisional round, uh, Indianapolis uh, heading into. Um, Kansas City. What do we think about that? Colts win. Yeah. Colts win. Wow. Andrew Luck throws four or five touchdowns. Uh, I think it's a really high-scoring game, and I think the Colts have the other team with a better defense, and I think Luck can keep up with Mahomes, and I think, like we've seen before, these primetime games, that's going to be a, you know, that's the early Saturday game. That's the 435, so it'll be early night game in Kansas City. Uh, I think that Luck and and the Colts can go in, and they can be the team that takes out the Chiefs. I 100% agree. Wow, I was I was prepared to to pick the Chiefs there. Um, that's fine. But I, I just that, that's that sound logic to I me. Like, I, I, I like could, the story of the Colts who did not know what to expect earlier in the year with Luck coming back. I like the I just like the narrative, the storyline of him going to the AFC Championship. I really do. I like this it team. It scares I, the hell out of me as a Patriots Well, I imagine fan. it does. They, I mean, the, remember when McDaniels bur- burned them yeah. as a coach last year, and they were like, well, the rivalry's on. There wasn't, it really is no rivalry because rivalry, we always beat the Colts as the Patriots. It's we, a rivalry like the Bucks. But the what if the Colts end up beating the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl? That scares me, but that's, I see the Patriots, I see the Colts being able to keep pace and. <sighs> I just I think that they can do it. I think they're the team that can do it more so than some of the other teams. Like, you know, the Chargers were able to go in and beat them, but I feel like the Colts have a good opportunity to do so. Yeah, but I think Chargers. Well, Chargers D is way better than Kansas City, but they have the ability to give up a lot of points as well. I mean, we were diving into a lot of just what ifs right now, but that's I I definitely agree with Johnny though about the Indian. I mean, Indy taking this, they go into Kansas City. Liam thoughts. I can't. I can't do it. I. Uh, I. This might just be that I just have such a shine for Pat Mahomes, and I just want to see that. I want to see that show more than one time in this playoff. Uh, 
I think the kid's special. I really do. I know he. Get, I know he gets a lot. Of, he, he's kind of not taken as seriously as he would be if he was doing it on a team that was less dominant in offensive weapons. But just watching him play football, man, like he's there's a there's a, 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 a an easy confidence about him that is just very very fun to watch he, he he knows exactly what he's capable of doing he very rarely fails to put the ball where he wants it he can do that way out of the pocket running sideways he can escape a bunch of defenders doing it and he's just too much fun to watch for me to for me to root against him truthfully uh, and he made you money <laughs> I think the Chiefs win in a very high scoring game uh, fantasy yeah. I think that... Oh, uh, bias. Oh, I okay. <laughs> well, yeah, so I had him on my fantasy team, so I, so I watched a lot of Chiefs games this year, and I kind of fell in love a little bit, because, you know, it's he's not just plug-and-play into a great roster and was destined for good starts. Like, there are a lot of teams, there are a lot of quarterbacks in the league that would not have done the same thing with this Chiefs roster. Mahomes did it. Uh, I never really looked like he was sweating. And I think... I don't think he's going to suffer as badly from uh, it being his first his first playoff thing because he just has that feel of like that impervious confidence. And while I hear what you're saying, Johnny, about the 0-4 in the primetime games... I was just going to bring that up. Uh, so you lost to the Patriots, which is basically you lost to Bill Belichick being smarter than Andy Reid. Uh, or at least smarter than Patrick Mahomes' reads on the line. Uh and they lost to uh, the Rams, and there's no shame in that for Patrick Mahomes. That was a 51-point performance that he put up. No shame in any of them, but it's just the, the trend. I mean, 0-4 in the primetime showcase games. I the mean, other two, though, Seattle, have been in the, in, like, Seattle, the immediate the aftermath of losing Kareem Hunt. Like, yes, there's a talent enough to cover Kareem for Hunt's it. still building some excuses here. Yeah, right? but they've had time to cope with him now. To cope with it now. They had so much uncertainty in that backfield over the last three, four, whatever it was, weeks of the season. And and the game plan was just... So much of that playbook was built around Kareem Hunt and his specific skill sets. They... And just... It's hard, it's hard to discount also just, like, how that, chain, how that may have changed like the spirits of the team mm. like that was a they were rolling and that came in and kicked them in the nuts yeah i feel like and it, then it and they dropped a couple they dropped a couple games that they sh- that they shouldn't have dropped uh i think that they have the time to regroup now and focus and i think that mahomes is going to do some friggin dazzling things with the football and i hope he moves on to the next round so i can watch him do it again all right, so we are agreed with a dissenting opinion that uh, Indianapolis will roll through the Chiefs and face the winner of Patriots and L.A. Chargers. I mean, you know where I'm going. I'm going with the Patriots, but I none of the opponents for me, it's not easy. This isn't the normal tomato can divisional opponent game that it usually is for the, Red, for the Patriots where they... Blow them out forty-four to ten. I don't see that happening in this game like it usually does. Like whether it's against Denver, Houston, Indianapolis of years past, I feel like this is going to be 
a difficult challenge. This year's Patriots aren't the wagon that they usually are, but they are still in a similar spot. Um, I think that the being 8-0 at Foxborough at home and just having that extra week to prepare will help out a guy like Brady and Gronkowski and Edelman, and it gives Belichick the you know two weeks to self scout, and then you know that little bit of extra time to prepare for whoever you know he can he can narrow down the opponents and kind of get a head start on the whether it be the Chargers who we think it's going to be the Ravens get or the, the Texans. Film rolling. So. The illegal film, yeah, exactly. Illegal film rolling, get, get, exactly. Get yeah. the cheating machine going. Get the cheat machine going. You know, deflate <laughs> the balls. Too, you know, all the things that the Patriots do, and uh, you know, whatever they need to do illegally to cheat and win, they're gonna do. So I, I gotta say that that seeing them a couple weeks ago, uh, and granted it was at Heinz Field, but. Um, that did not look like the Patriots team that I'm used to seeing just kick the Steelers in the nuts. They've been bad on the road all year, though. Yeah, but also Gronk hasn't been great in general, and I, th- I think you need Rob Gronkowski to win this divisional round um, because there are now so few other options out there. You see Edelman dropping balls. You see... Um, you know they're not going to white in situations that they used to, um, and I think that I'm on, I'm on the Philip Rivers train here, okay. and uh, I th- I think we see the LA Chargers pull pull out a nail biter in the divisional round. Marty, uh, you know it's 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 hard to go against the Patriots at home given the bye week. I think this would be a whole different discussion if if this was them playing in a wild card round. And being in an unfamiliar territory, I think they, I think they'll game plan around the Chargers. I think Rivers. I love his competitiveness. I love how he loves to go down the field. He, he's never going to quit. He's always going to just force the situation. Um, but with the game planning and the time that that um, the Patriots will get, Belichick will get with this. I think I see the Patriots pulling this out at home. Liam, I am. Very uncomfortable with how much doubt I have with this. I'm going to pick the Patriots, but I'm basically picking them uh, because because Patriots playoff magic. Like they just they've done it enough times, and that's that's its own sort of self fulfilling prophecy because now all the guys have so much experience at it. They sort of understand how these playoff games run longer and you have to sort of pace your energy out have plenty of time to the do the hill thing. um i think truthfully the state of the patriots right now i am picking them to win but i am picking on them to knock over what what i believe is a more talented team uh oh yeah the the Char- the, the chargers, chargers have, crap have seven or eight pro bowlers patriots had two so uh, but the Patriots as a team, I and I think that they are very underrated as a team because I think that their offensive, the Patriots' offensive line is really good. Their defensive line is coming on as a unit. Their secondary has been fantastic. Stephon Gilmore is the number one or two cornerback in the league as you know for the entire season, and they have a lot of veterans, guys like McCordy and Chung and Hightower is playing better. And I just they've all been there and done that and. They've been underrated, I think, this year as a group, and 
Hightower's figured out how to run. He looks better lately. Yeah. He looks a lot better. That's good. Yeah. Specifically, and something... Trey Flowers looks amazing lately. Yeah, he's been great. Specifically, something that worries me about uh, this matchup is uh, I, I don't know the stats on this. I didn't. I didn't look it up. Uh, but from the eye test, uh, f- not just this season, for the last two or three, the Patriots seem to really struggle to stop uh, bell cow backs. Like really good, do it all, thirty touch mm-hmm. backs, victimize the Patriots badly. And if Melvin Gordon comes in playing well, and and they establish that kind of run game and start opening up some wiggle room for for Philip, uh, it's it's gonna be a tough one. I'm 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 taking them just because, I've, having watched the Patriots over the last decade plus. It, it's it's folly to bet against Belichick and Brady, but this one is going to keep me up at night a little bit. All right, so we are agreed with a dissenting opinion. The Patriots will face the Indianapolis Colts in at the, home. At home, yep, that'll certainly help them in the AFC Championship. And regardless, uh, Indianapolis would be going on the road uh, in our right. scenario That's here. Six, six, so. um, in the championship round. Now moving to the NFC, we have <clears throat> the Saturday game, Rams, Saturday night game, Rams going into Chicago. Boy. <laughs> no, Chicago going to the Rams. Rams yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, excuse me, yeah. you're right. right. You're a couple right. weeks ago, the Rams went into Chicago in the Sunday night game and the, the, the Bears shut them down. Yeah. Um, I think the script is flipped here. I think the Coliseum's going nuts, and I don't think Trubisky has what it takes to keep up with a healthy, uh, girly, and the fu- fully functioning Rams offense. Uh, really? You think the Coliseum board. goes nuts for anybody? I think it would. For the playoffs, I do. I think that when they played Atlanta last year, Atlanta, yeah, when they, when they played Atlanta, it was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, I still think it'd be almost like Atlanta won. But, I still yeah. think it'd be like the Chiefs game, though. I think it'd almost be like like sixty forty with fans. I think you have enough yeah. Chicago presence in that game as well. If this is how it ends up going, I really think if Trubisky gets off with Philly and has a great game, and they just steamroll the Eagles and roll in with that confidence, I like Chicago here. Okay, I yeah, like I, I, I like where defenses can step in and step up. I, I feel like if Chicago can. Can put some points on the board. The Rams are gonna. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm never taking anything away from Donaldson and the Rams and their line as well. But they their secondary does tend to give up Donald, a lot of points. Aaron Don, Donald, 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 yeah, Donald. Excuse me, I said Donaldson. Donald, you know, but on the edging. But like, whoo, that that that's a game I'm gonna love to watch. If it gets yeah, to I think point. the Rams learned they're gonna have learned their lesson from last year if when it, they if lost it. in the, in the uh, after having to buy to the Falcons at home. I feel like this year. They'll, they were a year older, more, you know, I feel like they're going to do better this time around. I feel like if it turns into a shootout, then, then Goff is going to have the advantage um, just because, you know, he's he's got a couple more options and he's a little more athletic uh, and he's got some more athletic options. Uh, but that's a tough defense you're going against. I got to give the Rams the slight edge in this one. This is a tough one. I I would I would actually be pretty darn comfortable picking the Bears if if they were playing at home. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, same. I, I I the proof's in the pudding. They 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 clamped down on this offense once. Granted, it it was at home. 
Um, so it comes down to me as was that a wake up call and like a learning moment for McVeigh and the Rams and they're going to fix those mistakes with this game or are the Bears just the right team to beat them? And does McVeigh make the right calls in the right situation? He's he's been known to make some. Really there have been some, calls. some some signs some of some signs calls. of weakness in the last half of the season for the Rams that that were kind of confusing. I I don't know if it was resting on laurels or if they just assumed that they had. Well, I everything good. wrapped up. When from he the got beginning. injured. He did not look good. He right. looked really slow. And if you're able to like see, hey, something's wrong, Gurley, then. Their, their offense is predicated on the running game working and the play-action pass being ultra-effective. And if it's not effective, their offense is going to look bad. But I feel like with a healthy girly back, their offense can get back to what they have been for yeah, the last but year the Bears, half, years. The Bears are not... like Gurley will do better against the Bears than most have done against the Bears because he's just ultra-talented. But I don't, I don't think Gurley has a game against them. No, I mean, well, and McVeigh's shown in the past he'll move away from Gurley early if they feel like they, if they feel like nothing's going that they'll move away from him. He did it uh, with the Kansas City game, the third quarter, like Gurley even got a touch. The Bears are just yeah, right. so smothering on that run D. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and and they definitely the Rams definitely have the the passing weapons to to win a one dimensional game if they have to, but they definitely. They lose that look of a of a surefire steamroller yeah. when Gurley is not the most important part of their offense. I don't think Bears are going to let Gurley, even a healthy Gurley, be the most productive player on right. on the Rams. Well, I think you saw that throughout the year. I think around like week thirteen, week fourteen, you see that shift. Like there's all the talk in the early weeks was like, wow, these powerhouse offenses. How are you going to stop them? They just can't be stopped. And when defenses started showing up and making plays and making games when Dallas shut down Saints and following Chicago shuts down the Rams. So mm-hmm. here comes this discussion like, wow, defense is relevant. It can make a difference in the game. So with that said, I mean, if, if Chicago rolls into that feeling feeling confident, feeling like their defense can shut these guys down, uh, I'm going to be the outside guy here, and I'm going to say Chicago is going to take that game. I think I'm with you. Yeah. I, 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 it's, a, it's a tough one. Uh but I, I I think they've done it before. Hey, I've been on the Bears all that, year. That like, kind of confidence that that that, that gives them. Yeah. Um. And and there's something you know. The Bears have this interesting position now where, uh, striving to have a great lockdown defense was something that the whole league did, and every year a few teams would do it well, and. They're pretty much like the. What when was when was the last time any other team actually opened up the checkbook, like the Bears did yeah. in, uh, in this preseason for the, for the defense defensive player uh, yeah. like the, all all the all the money all the talent all the all the attention is going to the offense throughout the league, and it means that like sure Patrick Mahomes can throw fifty touchdown passes but fourteen weeks out of the year he doesn't know what it's like to play against a real stout mm-hmm. hit you at the line of scrimmage defense and i think that can really that that can be really really unsettling yeah so, you know goff goff 
he's you know he ain't a rookie, but he's he's still a young guy. He hasn't you know he still he still has room for you know to get hit harder than he's ever been hit in his career, and like have that come to Jesus moment on the ground and be like, <laughs> oh shit, I don't know if I can do this. Get the happy feet, they say. Yeah. I, I, so Johnny and I are on the Rams, or yeah, no, I'm on the Rams. I'm mean, not super strong, but no, I think the Rams will win this one. Yeah, I think the Bears match Bears. Bryant into here. And Marty and Liam are on the. Uh, so we've got a we've got a split jury here. So we'll just hold that. Hold it, Rams and Chicago. We'll be facing uh, Saints or Seattle. I, I think this one is pretty. Um, at least yeah. for me, it. I, I feel like the Saints just absolutely blow out. Seattle in this game. Yeah, and this will be in the dome too. Which they don't lose. Yeah. That crowd, yeah. that crowd will be rocking. You're not gonna be able to hear. Not yours. that the, not that the Saints are as home reliant as they have been in years past, but yeah, they're both. they're still they're so money in that dome, man. Well, these are two teams right here. Seattle in the playoffs, playing at home is just a monster stadium to play in as well. They understand that factor, but I you know, uh, you know, Saints are just rolling. I. I have them locked to go to the Super Bowl. Saints. Yeah. Saints. Agreed. Okay. That is easy. Um, of the Rams, Chicago, either one heading into the Dome. Saints come out the winner. Yeah, I have the Saints in the Super Bowl. I st- Man, I love the Bears. <laughs> I love the Bears. Uh, I think... Uh, we could say Saints win, but Liam loves the Bears. Fair enough. I, I, I think I think uh, the Saints would win the shootout with the Rams, and are the smart pick to overcome the tough defense. But I think I think the Bears have the best chance of taking them down of anybody. Yeah. <coughs> why, why I lean towards the Saints a lot in the Super Bowls? They they are a, a high powered offense with a decent defense. Where, you know, Chiefs, high-powered offense, no defense. Rams, yeah. high-powered offense, Man. good defensive line. Yeah. But not a good secondary. You know, that's where it kind of all dictates for me. All right. And then um, with Indianapolis heading into New England, um, as much as it pains me to say, if that <laughs> is our pick, uh, I would have to go with the Pats in this. Brady Breeze. I think we're going to get what we uh... – we deserve here as fans, Brady Breeze. I'll say for what we deserve, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the I, I'm just gonna assume Liam, you're all, you're on board with that. Uh, I think there there are fun wrinkles to this. Yeah. Uh, I think this is the first time they've actually had a chance to uh, the 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 Colts. That is, this is the first time they've actually had a chance to act out all this angst that they've been feeling. Uh, toward us since uh, since Deflate Gate yeah. and whatnot, I think they are going to come in fired up. I think uh, I think Andrew Luck is uh, is incredible how much of his form he's regained after you know people wondering if he was even going to play football again. Uh, there are a lot of narratives that that I think are going to give them confidence, especially if they come in succeed and, and go all the way up to the Pats' door. I don't think it'll be enough. But 
a uh-huh. hell of a story if it is, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, say it's Patriots at Chiefs. Um, Chiefs. Chiefs. Yeah, it's tough to go. If the Chiefs get by the first round and then have, yeah, it would be tough to go against the Chiefs winning to go to the Super Bowl in Arrowhead. Yeah, it'd be tough. So we need the Patriots. I, I I need the Patriots to host the Colts at home. Yeah, I hear that. And then in Super Bowl Fifty Three, we would see uh, the battle of the old ass quarterbacks, and um, I two would, great head coaches. I would have to go with the Saints there. Oh man, I can't do Brady losing another Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I it hurts me, but the Saints are too complete. If this is if this is the matchup, the, the past, Brady pulls magic. I'm the, going Brady magic. But there is there is goat there Ties is Michael Jordan. There is goat magic, <laughs> but um, I don't see the Patriots defense having enough to to beat the Saints. There's just too many weapons. Too many weapons for the for the Saints. Uh, and and the Saints defense is so good. It's just you got to look at. <clears throat> I think the this is where the balance is. The offense you know? is sort of meet in the middle, but the the Patriots defense has some severe holes. And did you just compare the Patriots and Saints to offenses? Did you the, thank you. That's. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I said I had no idea we were that good. Uh, I no. I you're, you're not, but Tom Brady is so much better than everybody else that it sort of. Yeah, you know, but, but we're overcritical of the Patriots around the, here. The we really are. We don't. We don't give the Patriots the credit they deserve, and that's why I'm just. I'm trying to enjoy the last couple years here, right and well. I'm gonna enjoy it and give them their due. And it's funny we're we're exactly opposite as we were in the uh, in the playoff picture yeah. and the, for the uh, for MLB. Where you you thought the sky was falling on the Red Sox, yeah. and, and I was telling you to relax, and now yeah, I'm taking, and it now on. I'm 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 spitting the shutting, bit on the Patriots, the Patriots now, down, like everyone else. <laughs> Maybe they'll prove They're, true. They are again. empirically not as scary a team as they were. Yet last year, but yet they're one Miami Dolphins tackle away from being the one seed. I mean, <laughs> yes. Can we play that footage again? <laughs> so. All right, so you heard it here first. Um, the GMSR boys have the Saints winning Super Bowl 53 with dissenting opinions all around. And that is going Go to... Bears! <laughs> Go Bears. That I'm, I'm, I'm really... I'm saying it right now. I have the Bears. Okay. Personally. All right. Fair I'm gonna look so smart in a few weeks. I cert- I certainly hope so. I would love to see the Bears win their first championship since 1985. Actually, uh, a girl I went to school with, her dad uh, was on that 85 Bears team, Danny Rains. No kidding. Yeah, and uh, his, uh, her mom worked uh, as a secretary in in the office, and she wore his Super Bowl ring on a gold chain. Did he make the cut for the Super Bowl shuffle video? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that's going to wrap up our uh, NFL uh, postseason preview. Uh, so you are now welcome into an extended edition of GMSR as we We're look breaking at... Breaking records here. As, yeah, this is going to be by far our longest uh, podcast. But that's okay. We had a lot to cover. We're two weeks off. You know, we missed each other. <laughs> so we're going to get into our uh, review of 2018. Uh, lots of fun, lots of heartache, lots of interesting shit happened. Um, 
I gave you guys some some lists of, of things to think about. So uh, we'll just take it uh, starting at the end of the table. Liam, what was your rookie of the year? Alex Cora. Wow. Okay. 100%. <laughs> That's a really hard job he came in and did very, very well in his first year. Yeah. Um. Uh, if, if you, you're asking me for a player, though, that was, no, no, I, actually, I love it. Of the year? We're gonna we're gonna stay with that. That's that's. Great. I actually and like that answer. I never, you never think of coaches as rookies coming into their first season, so that was a very smart uh, answer for that. For, yeah, I like that a lot. Any uh, any other thoughts on Alex Cora? Uh, just only that I could marry if I could marry him, I would. Like that that guy, I I. I love what he did to the culture of that team. Absolutely. Um, I think you can, again, I guess there's a similar uh, argument with the Patrick Mahomes is like, well, he stepped into so many, so much talent and that's fair to say, but like watch the Celtics and tell me if having more talent on the floor is going to win you the game every time. It's not. And, and he didn't took... Prove, didn't prove that way for the Dodgers, nor, nor the Yankees, nor the Indians. Yeah. And without making... Real significant. There, there were no groundbreaking changes to the roster. He got them to perform significantly better than they had the year before, and visibly have more fun doing it. And and it, it made them, it made them slump proof in a way that uh, I think is very rare, especially 162 game season. Uh, he seemed to be supernatural at. Finding the right moment for the hot hand, uh, Eduardo Nunez with the pinch hit home run, uh, and also the right time to instill some confidence. Uh, letting Kimbrel close out the last game, as much as I know it must have killed you, Johnny, but what was it, the ALCS, I believe, where, where he'd been struggling all season, or, or was struggling all series? And, and and we scraped that lead back together. Was it a division series or was it a championship series? Which game? Uh, it was the final game of the series. That's that I re- I remember that specifically. It was oh uh, the the well they swept well they no the Yankees was three games to one. Kim Kimbrell had like four or five appearances. He'd given up a run in every appearance, and everyone was like shelve him. Oh, Astro, and then, Astros, yeah. And then and he, he, he was struggling in all and of them. Then, he struggled in all of them. Cora let him get that save because he knew if he was going to beat the Dodgers, he needed a confidence. Oh, I think that was against the Yankees. Uh, and, and then uh, Nunez made the great play at the end of the game to throw out the runner. Mm-hmm. But the Yankees were at the bases loaded. I feel like the bases were loaded all the whole postseason against Kimbrough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, something like that. Anyway, it was as scary as it was, and despite the fact that in, in this potentially toxic a sports town, that could have been the end of his career if that decision had gone wrong, he, he knew that not bringing Kimbrell in for the last out of the last game of a playoff series would just ruin him for the rest of the run. And, and he made the call that needed to be made, and it was right. It was a little hairy, but it was right. Um, he he managed the the mood and the soul of that team in in a way that uh, it it would be incredible to see out of anybody. But a first year coach, I, I I was blown away. 
All right. Johnny, you're rookie of the year. Shohei Otani. Otani has his first major league season, ended with a batting average of 285, 361 on base percentage, finished with 22 home runs, 10 stolen bases, 61 RBIs. Oh, and he also pitches. In 10 starts on the mound, he notched a 4 and 2 record with a 3.31 ERA, 1.16 whip, and 63 strikeouts. His 564 slugging percentage ranked seventh overall among MLB players with at least 350 plate appearances for the season. Became second fastest Angels rookie to reach 20 home runs and joined Babe Ruth. I think he was good. As the only other only pair of MLB players with 10 pitching appearances and 20 home runs in a single season. Also won the American League Rookie of the Month award twice in April and September. And and did it all sandwiched around injuries that really that like dragged his overall statistical lines down quite a bit. Um, that's that's impressive. I didn't know that that all his uh, all his rate stats were so good because he had he had so much time when he was hobbled on the field that he wasn't doing that well. Yeah, he's he's incredible. I just love watching him more. He's... I just love watching him play. But we got to keep it moving. Uh, Marty, your rookie of the year. I went Baker Mayfield. Okay. Okay. If if the Browns had pulled off that upset, I would have gone with Baker. I just keep in mind that he, you know, twenty seven TD passes and he did it in thirteen games. He surpassed uh, Manning and Wilson. It took them all all of the whole season to get twenty six touchdown passes. Uh, he had nine nine games of two TD passes. Um, he just he just made that team relevant. He lost a head coach during that time. This is a t- this is a fan base that rallied around him as a quarterback. He came out, he performed, he promised, he entertained. I think it was just great for that town to have that. I think we all knew they were having obviously a better season than years past or last year. So the way one way to go was up, but for them to even be relevant and be talking about chances of making the wild card or sneaking in the playoffs or having such an impact on this last week in football, it was just a great year to watch him play. And I I, I was like. Nesto, I just kind of fell in love with the guy, and that's coming from a UT Longhorn fan and talking about a fucking disgusting sooner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, if uh, if the Browns had pulled off that that <laughs> that uh, upset, I would have gone with Baker too, but had to go with uh, Mahomes' dog Patrick. Uh, we went twelve and four this season. He's a second year player. Yes, he is. Oh, he's a rookie. He played one game he played last, last year. year. Oh, so he's the Ben Simmons rookie. Oh my fucking god, he's a goddamn he's rookie. They called him a rookie all year. He's not a rookie. He's a fucking rookie. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so Nesto's second player, best player of the year award goes to. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I even Googled, is Patrick Mahomes a rookie? And Google told me he was. Google lied to you while ago. Anyway, I'll allow it. I, I love Patrick Mahomes. You, <laughs> of can, you can give him any, no. any awards no. you want, man. No, Ben Simmons didn't deserve Rookie of the Year. No, he did not. And and you cannot go Patrick Mahomes. I'm forcing you to go Saquon Barkley. You're forcing me to go say Wait, play. All right, he's, he's going right. to get bigger and stronger before he's relevant. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I promise you, Johnny, I'll get to Saquon Barkley in a little bit. Patrick Mahomes went 12-4. and four. He had over 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns, only 12 interceptions. He is one of only seven quarterbacks ever to reach the milestone of 5,000 yards in a season. Um, he's in pretty good company. Uh, Marino, Brady, Stafford... Manning, Roethlisberger, ever heard of him? And uh, Breeze did it five times. So I hate that Stafford's in that category. 
Yeah, well, you know, is what it is. Yeah. So uh, moving on to MVP of the year. I'm gonna. I'm a little bit. Uh, there might be three out of four here. I was trying to think about the most impactful player. Uh, and maybe I just have the biggest boner for the Browns right now. I'm going <laughs> Khalil Mack. That's the Bears. Or excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this show's off the rails. I know we're starting to lose it. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's, uh, it's New Year's afternoon. I'm so hungover. It's, it's, amazing, it's amazing that I'm here. Uh, yeah, I would have been a lot sharper for this yesterday when we had it scheduled, guys. Uh, uh, I think Khalil Mack. Leaving the Raiders took them from being uh, like a nine and seven team to being a dumpster fire that they had to gut the rest out of, <clears throat> and him going uh, to the Bears made them instantly super relevant. They not not that that defense was bad. They had they had great pressure numbers last year. They had. A, they had a good uh, D line. They had they had good secondary already in place. But Khalil Mack made that a defense that can single handedly win games. And when you're trying to let a new quarterback get the ropes, that is so huge. I I, I think I can't think of a of another player. Certainly not another defensive player, but possibly another player at all that had such an immediate impact on the win-loss record of two different teams in one season. So I, I think he made the biggest impact on on his respective league of anybody this year. Johnny? Uh, Mookie Betts. We'll make this real easy. That's who I picked, too, so we'll save some time. They won Ta-da. the World Series. You won MVP. Yeah. We go so down the line. Players. I got Baseball Digest jersey. Player of the Year, Gold yeah. Glove, Fielding uh, Bible Award recipient, Player's Choice Offensive Player of the Year, Silver Slugger, Wilson Defensive Player of the Year, and, and All the Hart Hustle Award. Cutie. Yeah, just such a nice boy. That's one of the <laughs> things I really loved, and I know we talked about this before, but that's one of the things I really loved about this Red Sox team is there. There like wasn't a single asshole on that team. Like they were all just like really. Yeah. He's he's like fifth option of the this the whole year, basically, too, because that guy's an asshole. Yeah, well, but again, just like really good personalities, all, all guys that you just love, good smiles, great attitudes. Um, gotta love it. All right, my MVP of the year was um, Alex Ovechkin. Uh, greatest goal scorer of our generation, led his team to a Stanley Cup, finally got the monkey off his back. Uh, he had 15 goals in the playoffs, including two game winners. He had 27 points in 24 games in the playoffs, and that's over a point per game uh, to, to end the year, and has continued on that clip uh, this year absolutely on fire. 29 goals, 16 assists, 45 points in 38 games played. Uh, if he continues at his c- current goal-scoring clip, uh, and we're taking the, his career average here, uh, and he plays until he's 41. He does have a chance to catch the great one, Wayne Gretzky, in goal scoring, which, um, you know, Gretzky's... Not, a, not in overall points, but in, in goals. In goals. Goals yeah. specifically. Yeah, no, the overall points will never be touched because of the um, the change in, in eras and just, 
you know, goaltending equipment and, and training and just, it's just so much harder to score goals now than it was then. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, he has a, he has a chance to catch one of the, one of the golden records, you know, like the ones that were never supposed to be able to t- be touched. Um, he, ha- he has a legitimate opportunity. So Alex Ovechkin is my MVP of the year. Uh, going on to coach of the year. Oh boy. That's that's one of the ones I didn't send you. Sorry, Liam. Uh, I wish we could just rewind to the beginning of the Celtics season and I could say Brad Stevens just because of what he did the season prior. It's still 2018. You can still for what he did earlier in the in the year. Um. God, yeah, I think I might have to. That take taking that. Taking that injured a roster and that young a roster, talented yes, but um, with nobody who is a tried and true go-to scorer, um, you know, leaning for incredible minutes on on guys uh, that were rookies or sophomores and had never been more than uh, rotation players in the NBA, uh, it is amazing. Um, it's 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 obviously what he does. Very very well. He did it in he did it in Butler. His 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 mo has always been making teams overachieve, um, and I think possibly that might be the, the the source of some of the growing pains going on now here is that Stevens has never had a, a favorite of a team. He's never had an overloaded team anywhere he's been, um, whether it be th- through his tenure with the Celtics or uh, throughout his. Uh, college coaching career he was known for taking these scrap heap teams and making them better than the sum of their parts um, but maybe lacks the experience in uh, getting a crew with eight guys on it who are worthy of starting uh, to play nice with each other maybe there's some growing pains in there I still think he's he's uh, one of the smartest and, and most motivated coaches in I'll say North American sports, uh, and I think he's going to figure it out. But this first this first third of the of the NBA season has definitely kind of soured that golden boy image. The sophomore go, slump is go, well, you know. I think this is thing. more about players accepting what's going on. You're going to say sophomore slump? You think it's a thing, really? Yeah. Well, I just think I think, um, and again, basketball is not necessarily my thing, but Stevens. I, yeah, this is nice. like his, this is like his fifth year. Yeah. Right? Oh, well, after, last year was just the first year you sorry. heard of him because he's, he's so awesome. Right, exactly. There he's, you he's go. a Golden State Warriors fan. He doesn't keep up with the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you were gonna continue? Let me fucking die on that raft. God damn you! Well, we all kind of looked at each other like, is it is it better to not? I was like, am I trying to save this? Or like, <laughs> no, I'm gonna let him just run with us right now. You gotta. No, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, not to get too far off topic, I think this is not even about Brad Stevens with the Celtics this year. I think it's about the players accepting his coaching. And you bring in all, all the – this is Rozier wanting more playing time or how, how well he played last year. Um, this is, you know, Al Horford still not wanting to get down on the box and shoot threes and stay on the outside. And there's a lot of things they need to figure out, but I think it's the players to accept those roles and start playing hard again. I love Stevens. Well, yeah, but you, that's literally the job description of the coach is, well, to, is to is to take 
strong-willed, usually prima donnas, uh, and and Especially to and to be the adult in the room. So yeah. like, yeah, it's it's always on the players to take it in. But it, at the end of the day, if the players aren't taking it in, that's that well, we hold the coach responsible for that. Well, I think you've seen one player who's not taking it in, one player who's playing a lot less, and that's Jalen Brown as well, because mm-hmm. he's just not accepting where he needs to be on the, in how he needs to attack on the floor. But anyway, that's yeah, a, that's no, a whole I, hear, that's I don't mean to say. argue against my own pick. I do, yeah. I do really have a huge amount of faith in Stevens. It's, yeah. it's just been a little bit. All right, hold on, hold on a second. It's been five years since Doc Rivers was let go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been with the Clippers ever since. Yeah, I think this might be Stevens' sixth year. Really? Wow. <laughs> I just do not pay attention to basketball. I guess. Yeah, all right. Here, I could have sworn it, it was fucking Here it yesterday. is right here because you put me up to the test to get an uh, NHL report after your failure right there. Strikes are out. You owe me a report next week. Okay. All right. Uh, next, right next, NBA. next week, I will begin my NBA report. I'm sorry. Fucking A. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 16. Sixth year. Yeah. Wow. All right. That's. I'm just gonna go kill myself. I mean, the Celtics now. were completely irrelevant for the first three of them. Well, and then fun two, but not enough. First two. Yeah, and then then they lost in the. All right, we're di- we're digressing. Where are you? We're way off topic. <laughs> Johnny, uh, coach of the year. All right, I'm gonna surprise the shit out of you guys by going with this one. Maybe not, but um, I just think it shows some personal growth on my part that I'm gonna go with. Frank Reich yeah, of the Indianapolis Colts, who was the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. Uh, he came up with a lot of the play designs that they used to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl last year. And then uh, parlayed that after McDaniels turned down the Colts job into taking the head coach of the Colts. And, you know, after starting off 1-5 and five and having a terrible coaching decision, which I, I blasted him for almost every single show that we had, mm-hmm. uh, not taking the tie and going for the win in that game. Are you blasting uh, him or me? No, I was blasting, <laughs> blasting him. I thought it was a very bad decision, and I still say that it was a bad decision. Yeah. However, I give him my coach of the year because I think his overall body of work with what he's done with the Colts since being 1-5 and, and helping design those plays that help beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl and making Nick Foles look like <clears throat> Jesus himself in that game, I think was impressive. So Frank Reich is my guy. Right. You know my favorite thing about Frank Reich? The fact that he's there means I don't fucking have to look at Chuck Pagano ever again. <laughs> or Jim Collins. <laughs> Marty, your coach of the year? Uh, I'm jumping on Liam's rookie of the year. I'm, I'm going with Cora. You know, I, I just think to, as a bench coach, to win with the Astros the year before and to look at that lineup and squad you have in Boston, accept that job, um, and to roll in there and, and change that clubhouse. The, the feel of it, it, just to re, just to will that that locker room into wanting that championship and, and just all rallying behind each other. I think he just did an amazing job. That there's nothing I can say more about the guy that Liam has already said. So that's quick and easy. All right, my coach of the year is Vegas Golden Knights coach Gerard Gallant. Ooh, uh, last year, Stanley Cup runner-up, the Western Conference champs. Uh, as an expansion team, they went 51, 24, and 7 for 109 points, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and this season, they're in second place uh, with a record of 23, 15, and 4 uh, for 50 points, 42, uh, 42 games played. <clears throat> they're, they're well on their way. 
to being a 100-point team, uh, which Liam and uh, Marty is amazing. And uh, that's basically you get 100 points, you make it to the playoffs. It's kind of like punch your ticket and you go. Uh, for an expansion team with with a, uh, a roster of second and third liners, um, just to be able to pull those guys together and go on the run they did unprecedented and and um, was honestly a, a candidate for my story of the year, but uh, decided to go with coach of the year for this one. All right. Uh, moving on to play of the year. I think from, from here you guys talk a little bit before we... Uh... Before we started this, I think we might have a little bit of agreement around the table on this one. Uh, Andrew Benintendi uh, laying out for that Alex Bregman liner with the bases loaded when he when he knew it was it was three runs in and the game was over if uh, if he missed that ball and he went he would never no doubt in his mind that 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 one was his. It wasn't wasn't the most spectacularly athletic dive, but it was a hard-ass play. It was a tough decision to make. He made it without hesitation, and he and he went for the damn win, and I loved it. Yeah, I, 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 I it's just one of those ones you get chills watching months after the fact. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many times I watched that over and over again. Ugh. that'll be on highlight reels for the rest of our lives. Yeah, probably. I mean, obviously, I agree that's the play of the year. I'll go with um, another one of my favorites was uh, late July, Mookie Betts, It's Time to Party at Bat, where he's uh, the bases are loaded, Hap's pitching, and you know he's starting to run out of gas, and the count starts off 0-2. Mookie runs it to full count, 3-2, and and then keeps following pitch after pitch after pitch off. And then Eckersley, calling the game, says, well, he's showing him all he's got, but at this point, it's time to party. And the next pitch is... Uh, Low and inside, Mookie cranks it out over the Green Monster for a grand slam, and that was kind of, you know, they made T-shirts off that play. You know, I have one, and and the the other plays from the World Series is uh, Game Four, I thought, where the Dodgers had a four to nothing lead going into the seventh inning, and uh, Rich Hill bagged. We talked about this in, on the previous episode the, when it happened. Rich Hill bagged out of the game, and. And Madsen comes in, and then Mitchie Tubags gets a three-run home run to make it four to three. And you know, the night before was the 18-inning um, marathon game where Eovaldi had pitched. Uh, the Red Sox were up two to one in the World Series, so this game ended up tying the series two to two as the Red Sox came back and ended up ultimately winning this game nine to six. And uh, I thought that really clinched the World Series for them. Excellent. Um... Sorry, Johnny. My play of the year was the December 9th Miracle of Miami, down 33-28 to 28 with seven seconds left in, in the fourth quarter. Dolphins completed a 17-yard pass and two lateral passes, resulting in a 69-yard touchdown by Kenyon Drake. It was the first ever walk-off game winner in NFL history to involve multiple lateral passes. Um, absolutely electric to watch. What the fuck was this, Rob? Very electric. What the fuck was Rob Gronkowski doing on the field in that situation? But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you want to talk about an impactful play for the entire next two weeks? All the kids at school when we were playing football at recess, um, they ran a, a hook and ladder plays literally every play <laughs> at recess for the following two weeks. I'm a teacher, so um, 
you know, the, the, the kids will tell you what's important. I'm glad you clarified that when you're out there playing at recess. Well, I'm very, I'm very so I was looking through my binoculars, right? <laughs> I'm very smart. I, I need really good binoculars because I'm not allowed within 250 feet of a school or a playground. Uh, Marty, did you have a play of the game? Benatendi. Benatendi. Yeah, he Excellent. covered it. I, I just, I, there's nothing else that comes to mind. I know there's a lot of great plays in football, college basketball this past year, but that... That play alone was just, it just kind of signified the fight in that team that they're just not ever going to give up and just, they're playing to win. Big cojones. Uh, game of the year. Man, I can't keep, I can't keep just picking up the Bears. Just go Red Sox. <laughs> um, All games. <laughs> I think uh, this, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think... Uh, well, the best game of the year was the game the Dodgers took out of the World Series. Uh, I think I had that. One I too. think I think that marathon game, and, and and impactful not just not just because it was a great game, not just because it, it, it got the Dodgers. It, the end result is it got the Dodgers back in the series essentially. Um, just gave them gave them just the one point deficit, one game deficit at that point. But uh, I felt that somehow and maybe this is like this comes back again to Cora and how he manages the the spirit of that team but somehow the Red Sox seemed to come out of that with more of a confidence gain than the Dodgers did the yeah. Dodgers got to breathe a little bit but it was like so, holy shit! It took us eighteen innings to yeah, the so to beat the Sox. Yeah, the the, the Red Sox uh, for the first time, I believe in baseball history, had two different pitchers that qualified for a, a quality start. The only reason Nathan Uvalde didn't get a quality start is because he wasn't the starter. But two different pitchers in the same game went over six innings, allowing less than three runs. Uh, that's Goddamn incredible, and to do it, uh, to do it on an arm that's got to be half jelly after the after how badly his rest schedule had been messed up throughout the playoffs already, to be giving up, a to be giving up his his first opportunity at a World Series start in his entire career in a contract year, with two Tommy Johns on his on his uh, his resume. So if you if he messes up his arm, if he overdoes it. That, that, you know, very likely scenario, he loses a shitload of money. Maybe he doesn't play again yeah. if that goes wrong. And he went out there and put up one of the gutsiest sports performances I have ever seen. I actually, uh, I actually have. So I, I wrote down because there were several storylines in this game. And the first thing I wrote down was Evaldi gutsy performance. Yeah. It's like it's like bloody sock level. Like it, I, it's it's hard to imagine somebody putting together a braver performance that doesn't involve like playing through an injury. Like obviously, right. like Favre playing with two separated shoulders is like you have to give him the gritty award for that. But as far as a guy who had so much personally and career wise on the line. Uh, going out and just just wearing a bad game for his guys and 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 showing them like 
if I'm not giving up in the 17th inning, you're not giving up tomorrow. Right. Uh, and and they really, they really, really, if they didn't love each other before that moment, they 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 knew that this was like destiny after that. And it's weird to say that about a game that they lost. I guess maybe that's why it's so intriguing to me. Right. Um, right. So it was the it was the longest game in World Series history. Uh, Dodgers beat the Red Sox three to two on a Max Muncy home run in the eighteenth inning. But some other storylines for the game were uh, Nunez couldn't stay on his feet. Yeah. The JBJ homer in the eighth. Right. Uh, Machado uh, walking on what appeared to be a home run and yeah. then only getting a, um, was a single. single out of it. Yeah. It should have easily been a double, could have been a triple if he really hustled. Yeah. Seven, I, I saw something that was like something crazy like eight and a half seconds to get mm-hmm. to first base. Yeah. I, I, there's... I mean, we'll never know what it is, but there is a there is a number of dollars that he lost on his career earnings in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't think it was small. Yeah. Uh, and then the, and then there's Bueller uh, throwing only seven innings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there's some there's some controversy around around exactly what happened, but you know the um, the the coach saying saying you know are you ready to come out or whatever and he just hands him the ball. Do you remember that? Uh, no, no, actually, it's the Rich Hill. That's the Rich Hill game. Oh, that was the Rich Hill game. Yeah, Rich Hill banged out. Yeah. Oh right, Bueller was. That was game five. Bueller, Rich, Bueller yeah. is the rookie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bueller was the rookie, and they took him out early, even though he was steamrolling through. Yeah. If, and then uh, they gave up the JBJ hit in the eighth. Yeah, if, if I didn't have such a hard on for Alex Cora, Walker Bueller might have been my rookie of the year. He was phenomenal. We talked about him in the in the MLB postseason preview. Uh. And I made the point that I think really bears repeating. Uh, it's not just about flashing potential with him. He showed such a consistent floor throughout his whole rookie season in a way that I haven't seen. That I, certainly not in pitchers, man. They all, you know, they they all get lit up a few times. Mm-hmm. Bueller was Bueller was an animal. I I hate the Dodgers, but I love that kid. Elapsed time of seven hours and twenty minutes. Fuck, was that a long game? I watched every second of it. Yeah. Oh, we were we were hammered. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't, you very can't, you very. You can't drunk. forget about Kinsler. We started taking shots each inning. Kin, they, they they had this game. They had the the win in what like the twelfth or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Kinsler uh, Kinsler gets that ground ball and he gets so overexcited that ba- on a play where basically he could have. He could have beaten the runner to first if he'd just started running. He certainly had time to stand up, stop, turn his shoulders, and throw. throw. <laughs> and he just got so overtuned in that moment. World Series game on the line, extra innings, I get it, but this is why you get paid that much money, man. Uh, and just threw the, threw the ball so, so, so poorly. <laughs> With the runner still four or five steps away from first base. It was one of... I actually Lots don't of- remember the rest of that game. The rest of the game I had to watch again. Because that str- that play stressed me out so much that, that I blacked out. <laughs> I, I, I started stress drinking. And I had to... I You told me the next day actually who had won. Because my phone died and I blacked out. And I woke up. 
in my house. I had no idea what time it was, and I couldn't check the score. And I had to come into town, and I saw you, and I had to ask you what had happened. And, he was, <laughs> and you were just like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Johnny, what was your game of the year? Week 11, NFL. It wasn't my favorite game of all time, but it was the probably the game of the year as far as excitement goes to the NFL. Monday Night Football, LA Rams 54, Kansas City Chiefs 51. Electric podcast night. Yeah, yeah right. Monday night I did live, live broadcast that night, but yeah, so that's my game. Yeah, that was that's an that's an important one. Even if you don't like the where the 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 offense heavy thing is going, you have to you have to admit that that is a very important game to the NFL. It's show you know it. It's what they were hoping for when when they instituted some of these policies, and they got rewarded with their best Monday night ratings on that night. And uh, I think that game, if they weren't already sure that they were going to continue moving in this direction, that game solidified it. And this is this is this is where the NFL is going. Marty, what was your game of the year? LSU versus Texas A&M. 72 to 74, AM Aggies win in seven overtime game. It's the highest scoring game in NCAA history. Uh, four hours and 53 minutes long. Uh, also, something important to note that was AM's first uh, win over LSU in SEC play since they made it over to the conference. Uh, contrary to a lot, what a lot of people believe as being the greatest game ever in college football, I disagree with that, but that's definitely one of the most exciting games of the year. Awesome, and that was that was right on the heels of the uh, the Oklahoma WVU game, which mm-hmm. was also electric. That was so crazy too. it was a, it was a great weekend for football. Um, all right, uh, what did you hate most in two thousand eighteen in sports? Uh, what the Oakland Raiders are doing to the best fans in the NFL in the last year that they're going to get to have them. Um, I I put the decisions down on paper. It all makes sense. You know, you're you're not super competitive this year. Uh, they didn't feel like they could get Khalil Mack back, and they knew that that could be a backbreaking thing. And and they're they're stashing picks for when they have their shiny new stadium, and they're gonna make all this new money. And they're it all these decisions make sense for the strength of the Oakland Raiders business, but. The love that that city has given that team, and then, and to be spurned once, and then, and then fall in love with them again, and still have that be even when even when the Raiders are garbage, going in the black hole is a hard fucking game because the city of Oakland is willing them to win in a way that you don't see. Maybe you could compare Seattle, but to to see. One of the, one of the most, you know, like put upon uh, fan bases over the last several years. Not so bad as the Browns, maybe, but it's been hard to be an Oakland fan. And they've been showing up and they've been supporting their team and loving their team and repping their team. And they wear you, they wear jerseys every Sunday, whether they're no matter what their fucking record is. And to watch those fans 
get intentionally dicked out of having a professional grade sports team and their last chance to enjoy that connection this fucking it's just wrong man it's just unconscionable I fucking hate it thank you Johnny Patriots losing the Super Bowl to the Eagles last year yeah that's I could see how you would hate that (laughs) enough said Marty, what did you hate in 2018? Uh, this was hard for me. I, I think like losing in the beginning year, Travis Frederick, our center for the Cowboys, just one hell of a center uh, to uh, this disease that he's been battling for a long time. Um, it was definitely with the injuries that we faced with Zach Martin off and on this year, with losing Travis right away in the year, I, I just think that offensive line would have been one of the best in a while for the Cowboys if if he stayed healthy and obviously if the other guy stayed healthy as well. But just a really, really great guy who really enjoys football, just not getting to play the game that he loves. That was kind of like, that's probably mine. So the thing I uh, hated most about about, uh, sports in 2018 was NFL officiating. Uh, The missed false starts, missed or ticky-tack pass interference calls, bad spots on the ball, um, questionable holds, I mean, like, thank, thankfully, the uh, offensive targeting, uh, the helmet rule, did not become a regular season thing like we saw in the preseason. Um, but, it, I mean, it, it was so bad that, that even, you know, the NFL had the unprecedented move of uh, midseason firing of official Hugo Cruz after he uh, missed that false start um, on the Chargers against the Browns, which resulted in a touchdown. I mean... I don't know how it's even possible, and maybe it's just the 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 technology that we have at, at our disposable at, at our disposal now with replays and high definition cameras and all the angles we have. And and but I I feel like every game on both sides of the ball there are just inexcusable um, errors in officiating. And I feel like maybe the NFL needs to look at what um, you know FIFA is doing with their officiating, where they have an officiating crew in the booth looking at the monitors, helping to make the calls. Because this shit cannot continue the way it's continuing, the way it has been this year. It's cost not only my team, but several other teams big games. And um, it's making the game less fun to watch. I agree. I, also, the... the uh... The silent mid-season turnaround on on how often they were going to call uh, unnecessary roughness, right? Like they, I think they were, were right, and they did need to tone it down because the first four or five weeks of, of the season it was it was out of control. Yeah. But they didn't like they didn't even give a little my bad. Anything? No, it was announced like, "Hey, we were we were wrong, and we're going we're having this adjusted." It just suddenly went away, and 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 you're seeing guys getting rocked in the helmet, and calls just aren't there anymore because they overcorrected for how much everybody was mad at them for the unnecessary roughness call happening all the time in the first in the first few. It's, it's that, it just seems to be top to bottom in the NFL. Every time 
every time they have an opportunity to be to just respond to something in as ham-fisted a way as possible, they're gonna do it. Um, I I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's new officials or if it's better management or whatever. But it just kind of feels like I I, I chalk the officiating up to just a, a systemic dysfunction in the way that the NFL is managed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, see, speaking of systemic dysfunction, what was your bad take of the year? Or, put another way, what were you most wrong about this year? Oh, uh, the NFC North. Uh, I touched on it earlier. Uh, the, the Vikings were, were part of it. I thought the Vikings were going to be real good. I thought uh, I thought Matt Patricia was going. <laughs> this is this is the real one. Thought Matt Patricia was going to be a real positive effect on the Detroit Lions uh, because they had a they had a, a, a an offense that already knew how to hum, and I thought bringing uh, bringing that kind of defensive mind in to the fold and 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 sort of balancing out that the the the, the piece that the Lions had seemed to be missing, uh, in addition to really promising rookie running back to give give. Uh, Stafford a, a break, make him not have to throw 450 yards every game to win. Um, I, I really expected that uh, that it was going to be a dogfight between uh, the Packers, the Vikings, and the and the and the Lions, and that the Vikings were probably going to come out ahead, uh, and that the the Bears would be decent but not great, and it's just completely on its head. Uh, Minnesota is. Uh, I mean, they were in the playoff possible playoff picture until the last week, but they're they're way too talented to be an on the bubble team. They're they under no circumstances should they have been uh, should they have been in that vulnerable situation. Uh, and uh, and the Lions are just the Lions, uh, and that kind of speaks for itself. Uh, I think I still think. Patricia's good. I think this league could probably stand to accept that coaching is a hard job and you might not be good at it by the end of your first year. Like, they, they draft players and let them suck at the game for two, three years based on potential that they see. Maybe, like, fucking let a coach have a job for more than seven games. Mm-hmm. So maybe he turns it around, but he, he, had a, he seemed to have a very very out of touch um, manner with his team uh, I think he was I think he was trying to go and be Bill Belichick but he doesn't have the wins under his belt and the respect commanded at the front door like to do that so he was you know basing it off of his 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 role model uh, but Bill Belichick had to get a lot of wins before he got away with talking the way he talks to players in the media and to, and to whoever. Like, he just has the credit earned. Patricia doesn't, and he went in and he tried to throw around weight that he doesn't have, and he left a really bad taste in, in all those, the, a lot of those players' mouths uh, to hear the leaks and reports of it. And Seems I like think, he I turned think it he made, I think he made that team end. worse, and I, I was very in on him being... Uh, a really high potential uh, coach. Fair enough. 
Johnny, what, uh, what were you most wrong about, or what was your bad take of the year? Um, Celtics. Celtics are not the team that I thought they would be. They just don't fit. Something's wrong. Something's broken. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, but the Celtics are not at twenty-one and fifteen. They are nowhere near what I expected them to be. I expected them to finish between sixty and sixty-five wins at the end of the year, uh, barely above five hundred, with the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference and being closer to out of the playoffs than to the first overall seed in the conference. Almost halfway through the year is just not what I expected, and they just don't look good. And I just expected more out of all the players. And I just didn't expect that it would be this difficult. I was very wrong about the Celtics. Marty? Uh, Cowboys. Uh, coming in with the receiver by committee in the early year, I said there was no way we are going to make the playoffs. I hated the trading the number one draft pick for Cooper, which proved me wrong again because Cooper was an automatic impact coming into it. Overall, I'm happy for the players that they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, as a fan, a uh, long-time fan, I am kind of upset because I know we don't have the talent to get us to the Super Bowl. Uh, yet, this is probably going to be enough just to preserve Garrett and Linehan for another year or two. They not have to stare at him clapping on the sidelines. for Maybe they get blowed out 45 to nothing. Still don't think Jerry Jones wipes away his ass puppet and sends him off into the sunset. So, you know, I'll endure a couple more years of this shit. Uh, right. my, my bad take of the year, of course, was um, my my week one analysis on Saquon Barkley. Um, Shit, you damn right. <laughs> <laughs> I said I said that I had expected to see a little more strength from him, and see him sort of break more tackles and break out more big plays. Um, but like most things that I say on this podcast, I was dead fucking wrong. Did you see that week 17 touchdown where he pulled the Superman up and over? Oh, yeah. Jumped from the four-yard line. Beautiful. Was that that good for you? (laughs) So in 16 16 games, 261 carries, this motherfucker had 1,307 yards, 11 touchdowns. He had 91 receptions uh, for 721 yards and four touchdowns. Zero fumbles on 352 total touches. He was 5.8 yards per carry for a total of 2,028 total yards. Could have been my rookie of the year uh, if I didn't pick rookie special. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so I'm fucked up. That was fucking wrong. <laughs> and finally, we ended on a positive note. On the on this extra special three hour <laughs> edition of GM. Props to anyone who stayed with us. GMSR, yes. Thank you for thank you for bearing Guest with us. Director Peter Jackson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Story of the year, Liam. Um, I went I I went with the the thing that. Uh, I went with the clip that I saw that I got the largest emotional reaction to outside of being a Red Sox fan watching the Red Sox win. Of course, that's that's a thing uh, in and of itself. But just as a pure sports fan, the thing that gave me chills more than anything else was Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the last game of Blue Jays' uh, uh, preseason 
playing playing up in Olympic Stadium where his dad made his name and where everybody who turned out to that game was wearing a Vlad Guerrero senior jersey from back from the 90s and for that game they gave Vlad Jr. Uh, his dad's number 27 and uh, solo home run uh, and to walk it off in the ninth for a one nothing win in his dad's home stadium and and you overlay somebody overlaid those two videos the similarities in their swings if not their body types but in their stances and their swings and their body language is uncanny and it they put them over each other and it looked exactly like uh, his father's first walk-off home run of his career in that same stadium out of that same batter's box and that crowd, that crowd that has been so starved for baseball for so long since the Expos uh, went, made made a level of noise that mm-hmm. like I didn't know was possible, and and that was probably the most emotional sports moment that I've seen all year long, and I just I just loved it. I showed that video to everybody I could find. I was like stopping strangers on the street, like, have you seen Swing? <laughs> Uh, I really look forward to to watching him grow up in the MLB. Um, I certainly hope he gets traded out of the division before he turns into what he has the potential to be. But Christ, silver lining! If uh, if he stays in, at least we I get to watch him more often <laughs> on Nesson. Uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be incredible, uh, and he seems to play with with a, a, a joy that. Is not always found. I, I, I love him. All smiles. Seems to be a really sweet kid. And you could tell how much that meant to him at that moment to pull that off. Uh, I, we didn't, I didn't get a shot of his dad's face in that particular video, but I bet you it meant a whole fucking lot to him, too. All right. Johnny? Um, I'm going to go with uh, Shaquem Griffin. Ooh, good um, one. Twin brother of Seahawks cornerback Shaquille Griffin from UCF, University of Central Florida Knights. He is, has an amputee with one of his hands. Um, selected as a fifth-round pick, 141 overall by the Seahawks on April 28, 2018, reuniting him with his bro- brother Shaquille. Um, and uh, plays D-back for the Seahawks, and I just think it's a really good story to only have one hand and still make it to the NFL. It's pretty, pretty cool. All right, Marty. Uh, I'm going back to the NCAA basketball tournament where 11 seed Loyola um, Ramblers out of Chicago made it all the way to the Final Four. Unprecedented run in in the NCAA tournament. It was just a fun thing to watch. They had the uh, honorary coach slash cheerleader, Sister Jean, you nice know. trick question. How far behind was UMBC on the on your list? They're they're one of four. It's George Mason, LSU, uh, NBC were four 11 seeds that make it into. No, no, no. The number one, the 16 seed that beat the one seed Virginia last year. How close were they to making that? That list? story. I mean, just because it's never happened. No, it never happened before in history. Yeah, the I mean, Loyola was pretty good too. Yeah, I the story just like. How people rallied around this team, how the media, Sister like, Jean, Sister Jean, <laughs> Sister Jean, she was a media sensation. Yeah. It is incredible to watch her. Like she was on like every late night show, 
But the 63, they never made it to the championship since, right. since 85. It's been that long of a stretch. And then all these people from the 63 championship came out and rallied around these guys. Uh, they went on and lost to Michigan in the Final Four. But that was just – that's what you, that's why I love these tournaments. That's why I wish college football would accept some of these other seeds and go to a bigger playoff bracket going in because you get the UCFs who don't get in, you know, the undefeated who yeah. might make noise. Um but for seeds and these lower schools to go in, a 16 seed to go in and win, it's just for it's great TV. It's great for sports, and it's still why I think it's the greatest tournament in sports, uh, the basketball tournament, college basketball tournament. It's what I look forward to every year. Um, but it's just a great story. All right, and um, if I'm being entirely honest, the story that dominated my year was Lev Belloc, but I'm not gonna fucking talk about that. Um, I got to talk about something that was painful me, for me to watch in the moment, but um, given my situation as a cancer survivor, uh, I loved watching Brian Boyle of the Devils against my Penguins on uh, Hockey Fights Cancer Night, uh, scoring his uh, first career hat trick uh, after um, battling leukemia the year before. Uh, and, and coming back and, and, and defeating not only leukemia, but, but getting back to the highest level of hockey. So uh, Brian Boyle scoring a hat trick on Hockey Fights Cancer Night was my story of the year. Nice. Good choice. All right. Uh, well, those of you who are still with us, thank you so much for uh, playing along. This is a three-hour edition, uh, double-stacked feature. <laughs> GMS, GMSR. Uh, big thanks to Liam Barnett for joining us today. We hope, Always fun to be here. Thank we, you. We hope to get you back soon, especially for some uh, for some baseball and basketball talk. And uh, anything else, boys? Wish you all happy and Enjoy the playoffs. 2019, man. Yeah. Go Bears. Go Bears. That's it. I'm getting your Chicago hat. All right, guys. Love you. Good night. <laughs>